Hello everyone, this is Neil Eckert of the War and Conquest podcast. And you may be wondering, did I just click on the wrong podcast? I thought this was supposed to be We Talk About Dead People. No, you're in the right place. But unfortunately, your hosts are not. Both James and Aaron have been detained and kept under armed guard in a facility with 24-hour watch searchlights, concertina wire perimeter. There is no escape for them. I represent a coalition of history podcasters who do our best to gatekeep the podcasting community, and your hosts are serial offenders for inaccurate information. We've been watching them for a long time, and until recently, we had no power to act. But last week, they stepped over the line. They insulted the furries. All of a sudden, funds started pouring in from all over the world, and now we have our own dungeon, guarded by furries and ex-marine snipers. So there is no escape for them. Do not look for them. You will not find them. Ever. They will be brought before a tribunal and more than likely found guilty and executed by firing squad. So, this will be the last episode of the We Talk About Dead People podcast. Well, good morning, bitch lizard! How the fuck did you escape? And what kind of insult is bitch lizard? What is this, eighth grade? I don't have to take this shit from you. This is my house. Now get the flip out of my history lab. You realize this podcast is rated explicit. You are allowed to curse, Quentin Tarantino. I don't even know who the fuck that is. I just got to tell you, it's been a hard journey to get here because I had to climb over James's limp body as it was splayed across the razor wire. I'll never get these stains out of my sneakers. Well, at least they managed to keep one of you detained. So I guess there is that silver lining to this shit cloud. Shit cloud? It was a shit show. Suffice to say, James was supposed to be here, but he is sadly not. Anyway, it's showtime. I hope those furries amongst them, one of them's a necrophiliac, and they have a hell of a time with his wounded corpse. I mean... They're furries, right? Like, that's probably going to be, like, you know, the first thing they do, right? This kind of talk is what got you guys into this situation. But you know what? I'm going to finish what the furries couldn't. I'm going to end this right now. Not so fast, mother flipper. Is that a... Is that a gun? Where the fuck Uh, did you get that? This is, like, more than a gun, dude. There was a yard sale up the road just selling them to whoever. Who would have thought you could just buy a couple of fully semi-automatic, breech-loading, bolt-action, bump-stock-equipped, home-defense assault weapons with AOTech hollow sights, high-cap mags, lasers, and a sad cat strapped to the barrel? Those are made-up gun words. And you know what? I'm not worried, because even if those were real gun words, you know the bullets that guy at that yard sale sold you? I exchanged them for blanks. (laughs) Yeah, joke's on you, dude. This thing is definitely loaded. And the cat has rabies. Well, I would be worried about the rabid cat if I hadn't been feeding him cat food out of the back of my car for the past three weeks, just in the very slim margin, just in case you guys escaped from fairy jail. You mean he has actual strength? Oh my god! That's what you get for playing with guns, kids. You get rabies. From a Chicago alley cat.
So since we're already in the history lab and only one of us has died and come back to life, you know, just the one time, I think we should just let things get rolling and see where it goes. I don't know why you keep calling your parents' living room your history lab. Who do you think you're fooling? You're a 24-year-old bachelor. We all know you record this in your parents' living room. It makes it sadder that I'm actually 25. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. let me let's let's compete to see whose life is a uh, more bereft of accomplishments. Should we? <laughs> oh wait, I that's, see that's right. I shouldn't use big words around you. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I can't process the shit you're saying, Neil. Um, can we just like start the episode and forget about it? If you can agree to sit there, and Mr. Jingles can keep cool. <laughs> Maybe we'll be able to do this, but we're going to run this show my way. I'm going to show you how you're supposed to run a podcast, completely free of furry, insulting jokes and historical inaccuracies. All right. I'll give you a shot. So, Neil, who do we have this week? We have a man named Bohemond of Taranto. He was a Norman adventurer, mercenary, and one of the most famous members of the First Crusade. Wow, I didn't even get to ask you what he was best known for. You were just Johnny on the spot. Nice job, dude. That's that's what happens when you're fucking prepared for podcasts instead of just making up whatever shit comes into your head that you found on Wikipedia. I mean... And Sparknotes. What makes you think we only use Wikipedia and Sparknotes? Reverse Google search, bitch. So what, what I heard you say is that we're talking about a guy no, named uh, Bohemant, uh, who was a crusader... Uh, like a big-ass crusader or whatever? Yeah. He yeah. was okay. rather big. He was a giant, and since I've had to do research on your show to find all the hangable offenses that you guys have committed, I know your show format. And so before you even ask, I'm going to tell you what he looks like. Bohemond of Taranto was a giant. He was considered six inches taller than the average man, which would make him around six to seven feet tall, depending on what you consider the average man. They, people were pretty short back then. He had piercing blue eyes, dirty blonde hair, a beard, and some of his admirers said even his laugh sounded like a threat. So Bohemond, oh, shit. <laughs> Bohemond was not the person you wanted to cross on a dark night in southern Italy if he was pissed off at you. I mean, unless you're that kind of person and you really do want to cross somebody like that at night. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going to let the sound of silence here just let you contemplate what you just said there. I'm just going to let this one sink in for you. Oh, okay. Have a moment of silence for that half-ass joke. I don't feel a thing. Well, it's not even it's not sinking in at all, man. I'm afraid I might be too dumb. <laughs> well, that very that very well might be the case, but we're going to continue anyway. Okay. So we're going to get into Bohemond of Taranto's early life. Hell yeah. Bohemond was part of the wave of Normans that came across into southern Italy in the 11th century. They, had they were initially Vikings that had landed in France, and their, room in their, their territory in France was small and couldn't accommodate all the major lords, so a number of adventurers would go to Italy and Sicily and begin a decades-long war against... Saracen pirates and the Byzantine Empire, which at the time was considered the superpower of the world. And through a series of stunning victories, they would succeed. And they would take most of southern Italy and Sicily, and would even at one point take uh, the western section of Greece. 
Now, their initial conquest was led by a man named William Ironarm. <laughs> what a fucking name. How do you get a name like that, Neil? Well, if you listen for the next, like, five seconds and you just waited and you didn't let your ADD take over, you'd be able to tell that I was going to explain that. Do you think I would just say his name, say a name like Ironarm and just totally gloss over how he got that name? And I know when I tell you this story, you're going to laugh at it because you can't take anything historically seriously. So I'm just going to tell you. You want to know how Iron Arm got his name? Not really anymore. You've convinced me it's not worth hearing. So maybe we just skip that little story. No. You're going to fucking hear about Iron Arm and you're going to like it. All right. Well, let me just make a hot pocket first, okay? No. You sit here. Mr. Jingles, block the door. Don't let him loot. You want to get rabies again? Hmm? That booster shot only works for one bite. Mr. Damn Jingles, it. tear his fucking leg off if he moves. Mr. Jingles wants a hot pocket. Mr. Jingles was fed before he got here, but he still hung <laughs> but he still hungers for your flesh. He got one taste and he wants more. Alright, I'm sitting back down, okay? Fuck the hot pocket. So what why was William Ironarm named William Ironarm? Did he have a like a bronze leg or something? No, he punched a horse to death. That's hilarious! How? Okay, how much do you have to hate what that diplomat said to punch his fucking horse to death? You know, I know people who punch through doors and walls when they get pissed off, but this guy punches straight through fucking horses. I wonder what's next for William Iron Arm. Is he gonna punch through an elephant? Maybe a castle. Who actually knows? But with an iron arm, you can punch through almost anything. Just ask Tony Stark! <laughs> oh my god. Oh, why did I do this? Who did I piss off to get this assignment? Oh, this is history. This is not funny. You're, you shouldn't be laughing at this. A poor horse, an innocent horse who spent his life frolicking through the meadows of Greece just died. Also, you could get a laugh at it at his expense, you insensitive motherfucker. I mean, the horse, I mean, the horse kind of deserved it. He it's was carting around the guy. It's not funny. Why are you laughing? Oh, oh, I can't. I can't. <laughs> oh my god. I'm not calling 911. No. You can just you can just lie there, Neil. No. I must finish my work. I must not let this continue. You know, you know. <laughs> uh, the ceasing of my heart to beat cannot stop me. Good, because <laughs> I want to punch you around a lot more. I think I may have, I may have hit my head, and a microchip fell out of my ear. All this time, the furries were controlling me, making me do things I didn't want to do. Oh dear. I think, I think I'm okay. All right, we're relaxed. We're relaxed. Do we need to like get you hypnotized so you can remember everything? No, I think I think when I hit my head, I think it might have jarred everything back into place again. Good, you seemed a little, you seemed a little not yourself today. <sighs> All right, I'm good. Okay. You know what? Robert punching that horse was fucking hilarious. I loved yeah! every minute of it. What a great story. <laughs> what a great character intro, and what a great nickname. I mean, there's been some great nicknames over the years. I mean, you have your Alexander the Great. Everyone wants to be great, but me personally. I want to be known for killing a horse with my bare hands. I mean, <laughs> there are worse goals to have. All right. Whew. Mm. I'm back and better than ever. All right, good. 
He said, I missed okay. what you said after I fell out of the chair because when I fell out, it unplugged my headphones. <laughs> I think I, all I said was, like, suffer or something like that. <laughs> so getting back on track with our show, Bowman of Taranto was the son of a man named Robert Giscard, a man who would come to Italy in the middle of the 11th century. He would fight under William Ironarm and eventually become his... Ex eventually, he would become his successor. So... Robert came to Italy pretty much penniless, and by the end of his life, he had ended up controlling most of southern Italy, parts of Greece at one point, and Sicily. So, it's a pretty amazing rags-to-riches story. Hmm. But yeah. his son took part in the First Crusade, so history remembers his son and kind of just forgets about Robert Giscard. That's kind of sad. <laughs> well, he kind of deserves it because Bohemond, his son, who's real name actually isn't Bowman. That's just what everyone calls him. His real name is Mark, but that's a boring name for no boring shit. people. <laughs> and and Bowman's life is anything but boring. But supposedly when he was born, he was a really big baby. And Bowman was the name of a French folktale giant. So his name literally means giant. Well, can't fault him for being a big baby. Yeah. So, Just like uh, every other millennial out there. Yep, he, except <laughs> Bowman would grow up and spend his life killing people with his bare hands. So, I mean, I think he's got that on millennials. That is, I mean, I, I have to give you that one. So, Bowman would become his father's chief lieutenant. Through the wars with the Byzantines and the Saracens, he would prove himself time and again. And in Robert's most ambitious assault yet in attacking the Greek mainland... Bohemond would be in charge of one of the armies that would hold out until the end. The Normans weren't actually beaten on the battlefield by the new emperor, Alexius Comnenus. They were actually beaten in the political sphere because Alexius Comnenus would just go to the Germans who were in Germany. I don't know why I had to, felt I had to clarify that, but... <laughs> <laughs> the Germans. I didn't know. I mean, I'm glad you did. Like, where the fuck do Germans live? <laughs> Austria. I mean, but during <laughs> during this time, the Germans was always trying to say, but I had a little bit of a little bit of a senior moment, even though I'm only 24. I was going to say it's a hangover from uh, having a chip knocked out of your head. Yeah, and that's side effects. You know, every now and again, the whole room goes fuzzy, and I hear ringing, and I hear kill the humans but you know i think that i don't think that's sort of serious side effects i think we'll be able to get through that with just a little bit of perseverance all right so the germans were members of the holy roman empire which was germany and switzerland and austria and their dominion at one point stretched all the way down to rome at one point so they were the normans northern neighbors so an alliance with the greeks forced the normans to retreat from greece back into Italy to stave off the invasion. Even though the invasion never came, it was the threat of invasion that got them to retreat. And after that, things sort of die down with the Byzantine Empire, but Alexius Comnenus never forgets Bohemond because Bohemond defeats him in battle several times. I don't know how you forget getting defeated by a giant baby. Um, so yeah. I would never forget that, looking across the field of battle. And there's just this massive thing straight out of that goddamn Hideo, Koji Hideo Kojima. Miyazaki, my God, I get him mixed up. Miyazaki, you ever see that movie? Uh, oh, shit. Oh, shit. My brother's going to be listening to this. Like, it's it's this movie. It's this movie. What was the one where the girl, like, went to the 
castle and her parents like turn into pigs. Did you ever watch any Miyazaki movies? No. Okay. That means you're not as much of a nerd as I am. The, on, the only Japanese entertainment I watch are old Godzilla movies and hentai. I mean anime. <laughs> well, Ninja Warrior. <laughs> no, I watch America Ninja Warrior because Trump tells me it's everything's got to be American first, so we don't listen to that Japanese Ninja Warrior. <laughs> Build the wall. Around Japan, <laughs> build the wall so our athletes can climb over it. Keep keep the deviants bottled up on that island. Ever since we nuked them, the Japanese have never been the same. They can scale fucking mountains with no ropes. It's amazing. All right, uh, what any me. of this has to do with Bowman, I don't know. But <laughs> sorry. sorry. Okay, so it's all right. It happens. We all we all we've all been there down the rabbit trails. Mm-hmm. So Bowman. He's not a giant baby. He's a giant, giant. Okay. He's a, he's he's a real he's a real boy. Okay. <laughs> he's he's around, I believe at this point he's around like thirty years old or so. But Bohemond was believed to be the shoe in for Robert's successor, because Robert he lived to like eighty five years old and he was That's fighting shit. this entire. Yeah, he lived like really to a really old age, and Bohemond was fully grown at this point and he had been by his father's side. The only problem was, is Bowman wasn't technically legitimate. He was a bastard. Oh. Now, Normans didn't have the same cultural taboos that most other European Christians did. They still had that whole Viking thing where you could have multiple wives Mm -hmm. and no one would bat an eye at you. But as they mingled more with the other European aristocracy, they gave them the idea like, hey, maybe your true-born son should be the one to inherit. And... Bowman's bitch stepmom steps in and is like, hey, you ought to make this seven-year-old kid between us your heir and disinherit one of the greatest generals in medieval history. And Obviously. <laughs> I guess whatever she did to him got him to agree, and so Bowman was disinherited, and he was sent to live in the small city of Taranto. But luckily for Bowman, even though he had lost his inheritance... He's a seven-foot-tall giant who's, like I said, one of the greatest generals in medieval history. You're not going to go out of work. He's not begging with his change can and a guitar case trying to sing crappily rendered acoustic songs to get some change. No, hey, he, hey, he, that's he, my job, okay? I, I don't have to sit here and listen to this shit, you know, just because I play on a street corner and never bothered to learn a guitar. Just picked up a ukulele and I sing, I sing one song. Can you guess what it is? Sweet Home Alabama. No, it's I'm Yours, because that's the only song you can ever learn on the ukulele if you hate yourself. I feel like if you actually applied yourself as a musician, you could play any song with guitar on ukulele. Just a small guitar. You really think I could do it? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is why I lost my job as a motivational speaker. Pick up the ukulele. (laughs) Don't give your dreams a chance. Smother them before they grow too big. They turn into crib battle babies. Uh, All right, so feel free to carry on. I'll stop bullshitting. (laughs) Maybe, maybe you, maybe it was you that should have got stuck in the razor wire. Maybe James should have made it over. I mean, (laughs) I would have preferred that. But I don't know if James would have preferred it. James might actually be happier on the racer wire. Yeah. All those all those years as the 
the morbid deviant sex cult. Maybe he's enjoying himself right now. Who knows? Maybe he'll never come home willingly. Maybe they just left the door unlocked. He's like, you know what? You guys are my new friends. I really hope he listens to this. And oh, he's, he's like, what the fuck, Aaron? I thought we were friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> hey, hey. You know, he's one of these days he's going to do a guest show where I can't be there. And he's going to get to roast me all he wants. So, you know... <laughs> And I know he will. That's the thing. So I'm I'm not I'm not gonna hold back, even though he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Let's piss on his grave. <laughs> right on the barbed wire. <laughs> Alright, oh, so we need right, we we both this is why I can't go on shows like these, because we're both like wanderers. We gotta have at least one person to anchor us into reality. To help reel us back in, we we both we both start wandering together, and then who knows where the we start talking about battle babies and <laughs> furry rapists and necrophilia. It, we, the list goes on. All well, right. I'll stop. I'll try to derail you a little less. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, believe me, I can do it myself. Just easy enough. So um, I don't even remember where I was anymore. Uh, it's been a he long was playing day. on the street corner, right? Oh yeah. So he becomes a mercenary captain. And it's at this point. It says we're in a 1086 at this point. Perp, 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 perp. Urban. The cops are looking for him. He's a perp. <laughs> Hold up, we're going down a rabbit trail. <laughs> you know what the saddest thing is? Like I didn't. I haven't drank anything today. This is just how I am. <laughs> <laughs> James never drinks on the show, and half the time I'm convinced he's drunk. <laughs> You just got to throw out that disclaimer. He just says something stupid. Oh, he started drinking already. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> got to add in some beer noises later in the show. Yeah, he's real, He's hammered right now. <laughs> Several beers in. <laughs> Several beers later. Um, so <laughs> Bowman is outside the city of Amalfi. He's besieging it with his, I believe it's his uncle or some family member. He's he's working for them. He's doing spec work. He's, he's temping in the big city as a killer. Right. And while he's going on, Perp Urban has already called for the First Crusade, and the First Crusaders are moving through Italy so they can get ships into Greek territory. You see, hmm. the First Crusade was made up in two waves. There was the People's Crusade that were led by a literal smelly homeless person. And like I'm wow. You might think that's hyperbole, but like even contemporaries said like he was really dirty and stinky. And <laughs> people in the Middle Ages say that you stink. Like he must smell like some Magic the Gathering player yeah. at Comic-Con. <laughs> okay, now you're pissing off our Magic the Gathering demographic. Yeah. Oh, I just saw, I, it was in the back of my head because I just saw that new rule they put in at Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments where contestants have to bathe before they come there. Or they can be thrown out for smelling too bad. Seriously? Yeah, apparently that's how bad it got is they had to make a rule about it. Wow. Yeah. I just learned something. This is America. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So Peter the Hermit was a was a smelly guy. He had a real scraggly beard. He whips up northern Europe, and he brings a bunch of poor people and some knights, and they go on what's known as the People's Crusade. And they start by killing a bunch of German Jews. And so I guess you could say that killing Jews is not a Nazi thing. It's a European thing. It's in their DNA. Uh, you know, I'd have to agree with you there, having read Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, or YouTube comments, or any sort of digital media on the internet with a comment section. There's always someone blaming the Jews for something. 
Well, medieval the, Europe was no different. So they started killing a bunch of Jews, and eventually they make it to Constantinople. Alexius is like, we need to get these hobos out of my backyard. He ships them over to Anatolia, and they immediately get butchered by Kilij Arsalan, the sultan of Rum, which was the, the Seljuk Turk breakaway empire in Anatolia. So, How do you get a name like Kilij? <laughs> I don't know. I, I tell you, I... I, I enjoy reading like Muslim contemporary sources, but some of these names are fucking ridiculous. Like I actually, I have an example here. I took a screenshot. I was gonna post it on my Facebook page, but I think <laughs> I'll just. Uh, all right, uh, where's it at? This guy's name was like 15 words long. I guess shit you not. Wow. So yeah, so <laughs> Kilij Arsalan is ruling Anatolia right now. He's okay. been beating the shit out of the Byzantines for years, ever since the Battle of Manzikert, 1071. They pushed the Byzantines almost completely out of Anatolia. There's only a few coastal settlements. And just as a big fuck you to Alexius, Kilij puts his capital in a city named Nicaea, which is like 50 miles away from Constantinople. It's really close. So he's like, ha, ah, look at that. You can't do anything. My capital is right next to yours. And that was actually one of the things that prompted the First Crusade was Alexius writes to Perp Urban. And I, I'm not even messing it up anymore. I'm just intentionally doing that now. It's going to become this show's inside joke. So, <laughs> Perp Urban. Perp Urban. It's got a nice ring to it, too. Urban. Yeah. It's like, that's, his, that's his rapper name. And he goes out and drops beats in the, the streets of Rome. So, <laughs> so um... This was one of the reasons that they were they were going to go and save Alexius, even though the Catholics and Eastern Orthodox had already split at this point. They still were like, well, we need to save our Christian cousins. And so all of what was known as the Prince's Crusade were going to converge on Constantinople. There were six major leaders. There was Bohemond, Raymond of Toulouse, Godfrey of Bouillon, Baldwin of Bologna, Tancred, and Robert of Normandy. They came from all over Europe, mostly France, some from northern and then southern France. There was Italy. Pretty much the only major power that didn't send anyone was Sicily, but they would send naval uh, help later, as would most of the Italian states. So this was a big coming-together moment for Europe. This is one of the times that they actually like, came together to do something good. That's why the First Crusade was so significant. For once, they actually stopped killing each other and went and started killing somebody else. So... In the medieval times, that's considered progress, I guess. I mean, stop. you got to take your wins where you can get them. <laughs> it's like my math teacher said, how do you eat the elephant? And one bite at a time. Sometimes you just got to take little baby bites of elephant steak. I don't know why he said an elephant. I don't know why he could have used another animal, but that's what he said. He was a little bit weird, but he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> Trustworthy man. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so... Um, now... All these, uh, all through, because the Council of Clermont was where Pope Urban, or Perp Urban, sorry, I almost got his name right for once. <laughs> he called it in the end of 1095, and all through 1096, the armies were getting together and moving. And Bohemond, he hears about it late, but he's also geographically the closest to Constantinople, so he sort of reaches there at the same time as everyone else. Some of them come through Italy. Some of them go through Hungary and then into Greece, but they all, all roads lead to Constantinople. But as you can imagine, uh, Alexius really wasn't that happy about having Bohemond just wandering through his lands because he had just spent the previous years ransacking these lands. I used this analogy when I talked about him on my show that 
Bowman was basically like Osama bin Laden or whatever al-Qaeda leader you want to throw in there. Like he was public enemy number one. He was considered a terrorist. He had spent years fighting the Byzantines and no one trusted him. Although Bohemond was determined to prove that he had turned over a new leaf and it was going to be sunshine and rainbows now, and he ordered his men to not ravage the territory, even though they were being attacked by Byzantine soldiers the Shit, entire way. Did they, did they stick to it? I mean... Oh, yeah, Bohemond kept his men in. He had a pretty small force, and they, all res- they were all mercenaries who had fought with Bohemond, so they all respected him. Most of these men had been on campaign before, and that's really... In medieval times, the measure of armies, because unlike today where we have like a big gap in technology, like if we're bomb, we're going to war with Iraq, we have planes that can bomb you from 20 miles away when they've got no air force. Like today's uh, wars are won by technology, but back then everyone's weapons were more or less the same. So it was your commander who decided what your battle was. That was if you respected your commander, you would listen to him. And that Hmm. was... The, the mark of a good army was a good commander. And Bohemond was excellent because he always fought with his men and they loved him. So they listened to him, even though the Byzantines, I mean, they, they would return fire if they were getting shot at, but they weren't intentionally pissing people off. Right. And I think the best story of all this comes when one of his, one of Bohemond's underlings, his name was Richard of Salerno, he, could, he uses a pirate ship to cross the Adriatic for some reason. I don't know if there was no other ships around. He's like, oh, that's got a cool flag on it. So you're already fighting for someone who is despised by the Byzantines, and then you're going to get a pirate ship to cross over? Like, I don't know what he was thinking here. I mean, I think that every day. That's how I get to work. I drive yeah. a pirate ship. Yeah, well, <laughs> at, at this point, the Byzantine Navy intercepts this pirate ship, and there's miscommunication, and a battle starts. And some of the soldiers aren't in on it. They realize, like, maybe we're, we shouldn't be doing this. There's one priest on this ship that is having none of this. He's going to fight to the death. He doesn't give a shit. He picks up a crossbow, and in a scene out of a fucking cartoon, he shoots the captain's helmet off. Like, the arrow goes through his helmet and, like, knocks it into the ocean. It doesn't do any damage to him. Oh, shit. <laughs> and the, the, So the, the priest, he reloads again, and he shoots him in the shield, and it punches through his shield and goes into his arm and hurts him. Eventually, the priest runs out of arrows, and he picks up a sling and starts throwing rocks at him. He completely breaks the Greek captain's shield after that. And then he eventually runs out of rocks, too. And so he starts picking up bread cakes and throwing them at his <laughs> enemies. And I think like, I can't – like, every time I picture this in my head, for some reason, I just imagine him throwing Rice Krispie treats. <laughs> like take that ye devils ah, take eat my baked rice stuck together with marshmallows well it's like this is the real perp urban <laughs> yeah this guy was hardcore and it's actually this is, this story is told by anna kamena which was alexius's daughter she's pretty like anti-crusader because she wrote this book like 40 years after the crusades when relations had already soured mm-hmm. so she was trying to make it seem like they were in the wrong all along and they always knew that they were bad And they were shocked at this because Eastern Orthodox preachers did not fight. I mean, they were just what you imagine like a pastor would be today. But Western Europe was a little bit rougher on churches than the Eastern one was because you had the Vikings who didn't give a shit about churches. You had the Bulgarians, the Hungarians. All these different raiding tribes would come in that didn't – they weren't Christians, so they didn't care if you were in a church. And so – all the all through the middle early Middle Ages, like these priests learned how to fight because they'd be killed just as easily as everyone else. And 
it was the crusade was the perfect outlet of this. It was the fusion of religious war and holiness. And mm. this was the case study of, well, can we get our priest to fight? Well, apparently, if you're this guy, you can. And, and you're I, fighting I love, with everything from yeah, Rice Krispie treats to <laughs> rocks. I don't know where he got rocks from on a ship. Like, he can just, like, he must have had them in his bag because you can't, like, pick rocks up out of the ocean. I can think of one place where he could have gotten two massive stones. <laughs> yeah. He could have put, he could have loaded those in a trebuchet and thrown them. He launched himself over there. Well, the the best, I didn't even get to the bet. Well, the Rice Krispie treat might be the best part, but eventually he gets shot with an arrow or hit with a spear or something. And uh, he starts bleeding to death. And after that, after the priest goes down, they surrender. They tow him ashore. And he's like, what the fuck? We just tried to like guide you guys in. You started a full-size battle. And the priest is dying. He, went, he calls the captain over. And he's like, if we had been on land, I would have killed you. And then he, <laughs> gives him, he gives him his favorite cup, which is worth like 150 ounces of silver or something like that. It's a really nice cup. And then Man. he dies. So he just he, he the guy who killed him got his favorite cup and he's like yeah I would have got you if we had been on land and he, wow. he just lets it out like I, I've known some cool youth pastors over the years and <laughs> church people but I don't don't think I've met any of them that were that cool like I can't imagine any of them fighting to the death on in the foreign seas somewhere. It occurs to me that nowadays, if a youth pastor gives you a cup, he might get into legal trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're a Catholic priest, that's for sure. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shots you just pissed fired. off the furries again. <laughs> <laughs> well, the furries might enjoy it, those deviants. So, <laughs> so, the whole pirate ship incident aside, Bowman does his best to keep his men in line. And uh, all along the way, he's getting ambushed. And Anna Kamena tries to blame him for this. And she uses a word here for him that I really need to start working into my daily vocabulary. She says that Bohemond far surpassed all the other Latins in courage and rascality. Like, I, I need to find more uses for the word rascality. Rascality? I didn't even know it was a word until I read it, but I want to use it in my daily life. I think you should. I think you should, like, try to use it once a day and see if people notice. <laughs> it's like it's like the, the, the Winnie the Pooh meme that's going around now where he's in the suit and he's got that, like, smirk on his face. That's the kind of word that he uses. <laughs> Rascality, yes. Rascality. Mm. So, so as Bohemond gets into Constantinople... He has a little sit-down with Alexius Kamenes. He's like, eh, no hard feelings for kicking your ass for four years. Can we be friends now? And they have a discussion, and according to Anna Kamena, Alexius brings Bohemond to this room that's just filled to the ceiling with gold and jewels and trinkets and all. Like, it's what you imagine, like, a, one of those, like, adventure story treasure hoards to look like. Yeah, and I'm Anna's, thinking Aladdin right now. Yeah, and Anna, at this point, said his eyes almost bulged out of his head when he saw it. But apparently that wasn't good enough for Bowman. Bowman wanted land. Because ah. you can have all the money in, in the world, but if you don't have land, you don't mean shit to the medieval power politics. You're not a real, a real lord. So he wanted land. According to Anna, he didn't give it to him. But once again, she's shading this to favor the Byzantines here. Right. And so Bowman gets sent on. The other princes come in. A couple of them. One of them, like Godfrey of Bouillon, tries to besiege Constantinople because... Alexius won't open his markets to him. 
and his men are starving, so he's like, well, fuck it, I'll just attack the most fortified castle on Earth. Yeah, I mean, fuck it, why yeah. not? He's We're like Germans, we can night. do it. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, see that massive garrison, or not garrison, but, like, fortress over there? Let's go, like, make the people inside mad at us. Yeah, I remember uh, when I was doing my series on Alexander the Great, they were outside this one city, and two Macedonian soldiers got drunk one night, and they started playing, like, Never Have I Ever. And eventually, like, they started yelling at each other, you're, you're a pussy, you're a pussy, and eventually they both just charge at the city and almost capture it themselves. Like, they get up on the walls, and, like, if anyone else had known, they could have taken the city. Like, two drunk Macedonians almost captured an entire city by themselves. I, so that's what, that's what the this sort of reminds me of. I've never heard... Okay, all right. You got me beat. I don't think I have a cooler story than that. <laughs> so, yeah, so Godfrey, eventually he pulls back, and they kiss and make up. Supposedly, the emperor even adopts Godfrey as his adoptive son. So to try to cool him down. And because Godfrey was telling everyone he was descended of Charlemagne, which was the Carolingian line had died out. But everyone liked to try to claim a famous ancestor. Sort of how like people do now when they go to psychics. Like, oh, I was a famous stockbroker in the 1920s in a previous <laughs> life. I mean, the psychic never tells you that you were a vagabond. and Right. Died alone, eaten by your cats. Or that you had, like, a battle baby in your past. You know, you don't want to hear that yeah. kind of shit. No. But, um, so, once everyone signs a, a deal, basically, it boils down, they're, all of them are different, but it all boils down to, we're going to fight with the Greeks, and, which was another word for the Byzantines, they're sort of interchangeable. Mm. Um... We fight with them in any territory that was previously part of the Byzantine Empire that gets taken by the Crusaders is going to revert back to Byzantine control. That's the oath they all swore. So Alexius was really going to try to use these guys as his hired muscle, basically. Because the First Crusade kind of floored Alexius. When he sent word to Perp Urban, he had expected maybe a few thousand knights and conservative estimates of the numbers that took part in the first crusade around a hundred thousand so shit a few more people i mean there, there's numbers that say it's up to a quarter million people showed up but i Holy use a hundred thousand just because that's like the median number i like to try to go in between like the revisionist and the classical historians and find the middle ground so i mm. between the people's crusade and the main princess crusade about a hundred thousand i read an interesting revisionist history book uh called god's battalions it was about the crusades Yep, I have that. Yeah, actually, I uh, James recommended that to me. That's the only reason I knew he was super into history. Yeah, I um actually that was one of my sources for um the First Crusade series. I, <laughs> yeah, he's a Rodney Stark's a good writer. So um, I don't think Rodney is a revisionist history historian, is he? Well, I mean, the classic uh, view of the Crusades is that they were all bad all the way through. Well, like there was never I, a good reason. Actually, well, the original sources, they were all good. And then during the Enlightenment, when Voltaire came out and all those other Enlightenment guys, they turned it bad. And then the colonial area, they were good again because it's Europeans taking stuff from brown people. And then in our modern times, they've turned into being bad again. So it's sort of, it's a pendulum. It swings back and forth whether people like or dislike the Crusades. Now there's a big fucking rabbit trail. I'll tell you what pendulum about narrative and history Ooh, i could go forever on that oh yeah i mean we all could i mean but we're gonna we're gonna focus we're gonna we're doing a good job i'm actually proud of us (laughs) fucking 
sharks with laser beams attached to their noses. We're lasering back in. Fuck yeah. <laughs> You're the best son ever, Scotty. Anyway. What? <laughs> I was quoting... I, I'm not Dr. your son. No, I was quoting Dr. Evil and Austin Powers, Goldmember. Oh, I've never That's seen Austin where, Powers. Then why did you laugh at sharks with laser beams attached to their noses? Because that's uh, funny in itself. Oh, well, that's where it comes from. Oh, okay. You got to get on. It's on. It's on Netflix. I want you to after this it gets done, before you pass out. I want you to watch <laughs> Goldmember on Netflix. Anyway. Okay. So, movie recommendations aside. So as the first crusade starts moving through Anatolia, they go through the port of Nicomedia, which is where Peter the Hermit's army had gotten massacred. And nobody had thought to bury the bones. Like, they were just laying out there, just a bunch of skeletons laying around. So, needless to say, this gets the Crusaders pretty fired up. They're all pissed off. Actually, Peter the Hermit survived because he was away from the battle at the time trying to get supplies. So he's with the army, and he's like, hey, these were all my friends, and they're all dead now. And so, with the Byzantine guidance, they show up at the city of Nicaea. Now, Nicaea is important. Those... Christians among us probably recognize it as where the Council of Nicaea was, where they hammered out what was going to be in the Bible and what Christians believe. So it's a pretty big deal in the Christian world to take this city back. Right. Only problem was, is it was made by this little obscure people called the Romans. Oh! (laughs) Yeah. And the Romans didn't fuck around when it came to siege warfare and building things. And in a city, you combine those two together, you get... as city like Nicaea with over a hundred towers, 30 now, foot I'm, high I'm, walls. I'm going to challenge you on this, Neil. Oh. <laughs> the Romans didn't really build that much shit. Yeah, they did. All right. You're right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they, may, they may have, they may have borrowed building practices from others, but they built a lot of shit. I, I, like I said, I am fucking around. I know they built a lot of yeah. shit. I was just being an asshole. We're not here to joke. We're here to talk about history. Uh, get that oh, microchip back oh. out of your head. <laughs> fucking magnetic. It just zipped back in there. I got it. Take okay. it away, Mr. Jingles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so... <laughs> So the Romans, they had an interesting little thing. I don't know if they invented this or not, but they certainly used it. They basically made what was known in the modern military terms as kill zones, an area where interlocking fields of fire can happen. So they would build these towers close enough that each tower could cover the other one's blind spot. So all along the circuit of the wall, you couldn't get up there and hide. And they would put catapults and ballistas and archers in there. Anyone who's ever played Total War knows how good ballista towers are at defending cities from sieges. Can't tell you how many towers and battering rams I've burnt down with those suckers. James is missing out right now. He loves Total War. (laughs) I know. Like that was actually how him and I started talking. Like he liked the Facebook page. He's like, dude, I love Total War. (laughs) Do you wanna come on the podcast and do a little short snippet? I was like, Yeah, sure, why not? And then he died. The rest is history. Yep, getting raped by furries on concertina wine. <laughs> well, of course, I don't know. He might he might be enjoying it, so I'm not gonna. He's fucking dead, man. That's really what he means by donating your body to science. Anyway, focus. <laughs> Good one. So, Nicaea has really high walls. They're like 15 feet thick. I think like 30 or 40 feet high. And the Crusader is like, well, shit. How are we gonna get into this? It looks pretty impossible. And just as they're getting all their siege machines ready to go, 
Killage Arsalan. I keep trying to call him Kerboga, but he's a guy later in the story. They both start with K, and it gets me every time. Okay. <laughs> Killage Arsalan shows up. I'm just going to start calling him Arsalan from now on, just because Killage just sounds weird. Arsalan? So, Arsalan, like Aslan, but Arsalan, you know? <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia. I was just thinking of lawns made of arses. I don't know. Oh, boy. <laughs> We're 0 for 2 for movie references with you today. I gotta find a movie you've seen. Oh, I've, I know. <laughs> hey, I just fucking covered C.S. Lewis. I know all about Arsene. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> totally forgot about that. All right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This podcast is gonna be five hours long. Oh, God. All right. Maybe uh, we crank up the speed. <laughs> well, I had initially had about two and a half hours worth of content here, but we've been... We're at the 50-minute mark already, and we've only gone through about, like, a half an hour worth of content. Oh, my so. God. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be here forever. I should have eaten dinner before this. Oh, yes. It'll be, like, 9 o'clock by the time I get out of here. Anyway, so they come up to Nicaea, and Arslan comes in, and I'm going to restrain from making a Chronicles of Narnia joke here. He comes in, and he's like, oh, we got to relieve the city, and so he charges the army. And the Crusaders beat the shit out of him. He learns firsthand why you don't charge mounted knights. Because while knights weren't like fully kitted out in plate metal, they still had chainmail, and the Turkish bows were basically, basically, basically <laughs> worthless against chainmail. It would still hurt. It's basically like getting shot in the chest with a when you have a bulletproof vest on. Like it, you're not going to die, but I mean it's going to bruise you up a little bit. Yeah. And so this whole battle, they their arrows are bouncing off of them. And then they decide to charge in and use their spears and swords, and then the Crusaders just wreck their day. They kill about a thousand of them outside the walls of the city. Arslan pulls back, and he, he tells the people inside the city, like, listen, I'm not going to hold it against you if you surrender. Like, you held out until relief came, relief failed. So if you want to surrender so you don't get sacked, go right ahead. Which is rare for medieval leaders. And despite him telling them this, they still... They want to hold out. They think they can hold off the Crusaders. And they the Crusaders keep trying a bunch of different things. They build one ram called the Fox. And it's so big, it falls over and kills everybody inside. Like, it's basically like German World War II tank engineering. Like, just to see how much armor we can slap on this thing and make it still move. Shit. I'm thinking of Grand from the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like that, but if and if Gron was... They didn't have trolls to push it, and it fell over and killed everybody trying to make it. <laughs> so, you know, perfect parallels there. Hey, we actually... We got a movie reference. I finally got a movie you've seen. Oh, yeah. I feel, I feel good now. Hey, dude, I went to film school, okay? I know all the movies, but none of them are liked by anybody because nobody watches them but people in film school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Ugh. um... Anyway... So they build another one called the Turtle, or the Tortoise, which is much more appropriately named, and it doesn't break down the wall. So eventually an engineer comes up. He's like, hey, we'll undermine the wall if you give me some gold. They're like, yeah, sure, get it done. And his undermining works. Basically, if you, you don't know what undermining is, they dig a hole under the wall. They make the mine, like, really shaky, and then they just set it on fire. And then as the supports collapse, the wall drops into the hole, and now you have a hole in the wall. So they do this, but it takes too long. So by the time they get it done, it's nighttime, and the Turks just spend all night building the wall back up. And when the Crusaders wake up the next morning, it's like it never happened in the first place. Wow, that's some industry right there. Yeah, well, I mean, 
when the threat of being sacked and killed by religious fanatics is outside your door, you know, it might motivate you to put in a few extra hours of overtime. I don't know, man. When I'm off, I'm off. I'm not doing yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel you, but, you know, sometimes I guess there had enough industrious people in the city to get it done. So running out of options, they go to Alexi. It's like, hey, how are we going to take this city? Well, Nicaea, it turns out, was on a lake. What well, lakes are closed bodies of water. So Alexius brings his ships as close as he can and has them carried over land and dropped in the lake. And at this point, the princess is trying to escape by the lake, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, shit, what are Byzantine ships doing in this water? This is a closed body of water. Right. And they, ca- they capture her, and then they're like, well, we should start negotiating now that you have our princess. And they come up with this clever tactic they bring in a negotiator, and he plays good cop, bad cop. He's like, hey, you can either surrender the city to the Byzantines, and you can all live where my religious fanatic friends are going to come through and kill everybody. Because after the battle with uh, Arslan, the Crusaders cut off all the dead people's heads and then put them on spears and had, like, a parade around the camp to show everyone, like, look at all your dead friends, look at this. And so in retaliation, the Turks played human fishing. After the battles, when people would die near the walls, they would throw metal hooks and hook them and drag them up on the wall and, like, mutilate them in front of the army. So Holy crap! Yeah, there's a lot of resentment between these two people. So they know it's not going to be nice if the Crusaders get in the town. Yeah. And so the Turks are like, okay, we'll give up. But, like, you know, we have to make it look like we didn't plan this out. So the next day, they're like, we're going to have a big battle. And... Where the Byzantines are, their guard forgets to lock the gate, and all of a sudden the Byzantines are in the city, and they promptly lock the gate behind them. The Crusaders are like, what the fuck? Like, I thought we were friends. And Alexius is like, well, I mean, let's be, let's, oh, oh. <laughs> shit, I'm going to mark that one. <laughs> <laughs> Manual mark. <laughs> so Alexius says, um, well, you guys are going to kill everybody in this city, so um, this is for their safety. So they tell him, well, we can sort of see that, and eventually the Crusaders move on from Nicaea. And a few days later, Arslan returns to do battle with the White Witch. Oh. <laughs> uh, and by I- White Witch, I mean the Crusaders who were white. <laughs> So the army splits in half. We don't know if it's intentional or they just sort of got lost in the dark one night. And it's basically the Normans under Bohemond and Robert of Normandy and Flanders. I'm not going to tell you where those two are from. It's literally in their name. <laughs> and Tatesius, who was basically Bohemond's babysitter. Mm. It was a small contingent of Greek troops that were sent by Alexius to help in sieges and with local translation and all. And Tatesius is there to babysit. Uh, Bohemond. Huh. Because okay. you, you don't want to... Alexius believes that Bohemond's only there to steal land, so you want to have a liaison with him. Right. I mean, that, and, just, make, that just makes you know, sense. Yeah. Straight up. I mean, I mean, if we bring in, like, some terrorist leader to meet the president, like, we're going to... We're going to have somebody watching him the whole time. Like, we're not gonna I would think so. <laughs> just wander around Washington, D.C. <laughs> Look at all our national monuments unguarded. Anything strike your fancy? Anyway... So <laughs> they come to this place called Dorylaeum, and Arsalan is waiting for them. And see, Arsalan was unlike a lot of other military commanders who would just say, oh, they got one over on me. I'm just going to do the same exact thing I did last battle. No. 
Arsalan's like, well, my people got their asses handed to them. And so he spends the time that the Crusaders are out at Nicaea sending out uh, envoys to the other people. There's a people in northern Anatolia known as the Danishmans. They're not at all related to the Danes. I don't know. It's just similar names. So confusing. <laughs> yeah, they're Turks. Okay. And he sends a bunch of people. And we figured that there's around 10,000 men at this battle. Because I saw this one study that said that each of the sultan, that each of the sultanates only had an estimated 10,000 man army. Hmm. Like that was all the Turks that were in Anatolia in these different empires at the time. So if we figure between the capture of the city and the battle outside Nicaea... Arsalan's down 3,000 men, and if you figure they send roughly around half, you're looking at around 10 to 12,000 Turks. Because the modern numbers are all over the place, because the people who wrote them down were losing their shit the entire battle, and they really didn't have a good counting system. Right, I bet not. <laughs> Let me count it, heads. Oh shit, that one just flew off. Fuck. Yeah, well, it's also, it's difficult to gauge Turkish numbers, because this battle was fought in a hilly range. And the Turks would ride up the hill and then rest their horses and send. they would come in waves. So it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, it looks like there's a constant stream of people, but it's really just the same 10,000 or so people cycling in and out of view. So, hmm. And they didn't kill that many of them at this battle because this was a mostly defensive battle. So, I mean, you can count the dead, but you're like, well, how many other people there? And ancient and medieval historians like to make up numbers for battles to make them sound fantastic anyway. So Right, right. More than likely around 10,000 people at this battle. And they begin to ambush Bohemond's men. And initially the knights charge out and try to fight him. And a lot of them get killed. And so Bohemond decides to pull back into a defensive posture. He's at the base of this range of hills. I guess that's a technical term for a bunch of hills. I don't know. It works for mountains, so it's going to work in this scenario too. And he positions a swamp and a creek to his back so he can have fresh water and a little bit of protection. And then he orders all of his knights to dismount and then join the ranks of the infantry under the thing. Because at this time, horses didn't really have any armor. Mm -hmm. so And that was the one way the Turks could kill a knight was you shoot the horse. Or you just punch the horse. I mean, Yeah, or you punch the horse. <laughs> Although I don't think any of them were big enough to pull off what Iron Arm did. Because Iron Arm was a big burly Viking. Punch the horse twice. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> did the, one, the, left, the, the left, right. Right. Jab hook. Maybe an uppercut. I don't know. I don't know how you kill a horse with a punch. I mean, you could, like, shove a massive carrot in its mouth. It would probably try to eat it. Just choke. Yeah, but that's not... You're adding in... That's a weapon, though. I mean, you, we were just talking about with a punch here. I mean, I guess a no, food no, item can no, be a weapon, no, according nope. to the priests. Nope. <laughs> well, yeah, if you get your Rice Krispie treats, it is a, a weapon. <laughs> All right, <laughs> sorry. It's going to take us forever. So, <laughs> all through the battle... This battle is about six hours long, and... Arslan and his Danishman friend keep sending wave after wave of Turks. And I did the math for this. And they figure that the Turkish bow, because it was a light bow, could fire about eight arrows a minute. And so in the first minute of this battle, because what the Turks would do is they would all charge together, circle the opponent, and then turn and run away and see if you would pursue them. And if you didn't, they would just, like we said, come and wave. Some would rest their horses and their arms, because pulling a bow a bunch of times gets tiring. So you're resting your guys. And... So in the first minute of the battle, there was probably 80,000 arrows in the air at one time in the first minute of the battle. And some of these guys would have quivers with 250, 300 arrows in them. So there was a lot of arrows. But like we said, with the big shields and the armor, a lot of them were just bouncing harmlessly off the men. But there were still people dying left and right. And Bohemond 
was the one who kept them all together. He kept riding up and down the lines. Every now and again, Turks would break through a section of infantry and he would send his reserves and personally reinforce them. And the other warriors were, other leaders were fighting with them as well. And just before the battle starts, Bohemian sends a letter, which is really concisely worded. And I, I just love the message he sends. He sends the message to Godfrey and Raymond. He's like, if you wish to prove yourselves men, come at once. And that's oh. it. Like, that, that's the only message he has for them. So Godfrey and Raymond and Adamar of Puy, who which was the papal um, general sent by the pope, or the perp, I mean, sorry. Right. <laughs> I got it right again. Uh, <laughs> so they all ride up. They leave the infantry because they're still hours behind, and they ride hell-bent for leather with their horses. But they still have to hold for six hours until they get there. And Arsalan is exhausting his men here. He's just he's shooting thousands of arrows, and they're not getting them. I mean, people are dying, and inside the camp, where the chroniclers who wrote about these battles were, because most of these chroniclers were clerics. The one chronicler, he's losing his shit. He's, he's with the women. He's screaming and panicking. He's like, oh, they're, they're going to kill us all and all. But there were some women who actually took part in this battle. We don't think they fought, but they served support roles. They were running water back and forth. They were tending to the wounded, yelling encouragement. Like, And so this is one of the few battles we have in medieval history where women are there, and that was also incentive to the crusaders to fight harder because a lot of these people brought their families with them oh yeah the, mm. the first crusade wasn't just a military expedition it was a pilgrimage and there was a lot of non-combatants there that weren't fighters right and, most people don't know that which is interesting yeah, yeah. and there was actually they didn't, the first crusade wasn't even called the crusade until like the middle of the 1100s it was just called the pilgrimage or the journey hmm. i didn't know that yeah that? crusader was a later it comes from the French Crusade Signatus, which means one sign with the cross. But that was a later invention around the hmm. Second Crusade. But anyway, so Kilij Arsalan and his friends are there trying to break the Crusader lines. He's tearing his hair out. It's been six hours. He can't punch through the line long enough to open up the ranks. And he's focused all of his energy on doing that. He's not paying attention. He hasn't posted watches on his flanks because he believes that Bowman's army is the entire army. And mm. while he does this, Adamar of Lepuy sneaks up in his rear, and Godfrey and Raymond both sneak up on his flanks. And all of a sudden, they appear over the hills, and the Turks just shit themselves. They're like, oh, we didn't expect this. Yep. And <laughs> when Bowman sees them come up, he mounts all his horses, and they ride after him. And they cut him for three days. They ride through Turkey and cut down people. Shit. Yeah. And after this, the Turks' will is broken. Even though they didn't lose that many people... I mean, if you spent six hours trying to break somebody's line and you couldn't budget an inch, I mean, that, that mm. would be disheartening. And then you'd get a bunch of your friends killed. Mm. A little bit later at a place called Heraclea, Arslan would get a group of people together to try to fight him again, and everything would just fall to pieces. And after that, he's like, well, maybe I should stop trying to fight these people. These people are too good for me. But he didn't quite leave them alone. He went and burned all the crops and villages along their way so they would starve. And Mother Nature would become the new enemy of the Crusades mm. as they march through Anatolia. I've said it multiple times on my show. I'm never visiting Turkey, ever. Like The past three series I've done, I've had multiple stories of armies just disintegrating because they get lost in the desert and they die of thirst and hunger. So I'm never visiting Turkey, ever. <laughs> 
I mean, I'm sure Turkish people are nice, but your country kills a lot of people. Oh, shit. So, I mean, I imagine it's a little bit better with roads now, but still. Yeah. History, history, is, history has biased me against the, the long trek through the Anatolian Taurus Mountains. But, um... <clears throat> oh, that was my back. All right. Good one. So, <laughs> I'm sitting in a chair without a back right now, so I'm just... Oh! Free... Yeah. Oh, that yes. has to be so painful. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, a little stiff right now. Good reason to keep you here even longer. <laughs> yeah. You're going to suffer like the Crusaders. I so. got a text from James. Shall we hear from James? Yeah, he says, let's hear. Let's, let's get letters from the fans. He says, fucking hate my life right now. Just waterboard my face in vinegar and slap me with a Muppet. The capitalists are using me as a sled and sledding down a giant cheese grater. <laughs> you know, that's actually surprisingly, like, fits well with the theme we're going on here. I'm actually, I... <laughs> I'm, in, I'm impressed with uh, James's writing skills. Uh, or, or did yeah. you make that up? I didn't make it up. He's fucking sending oh. it to me right now. <laughs> I was like, because he him. didn't even... He didn't even know about the whole furry bit, so that actually fits nah, in, especially with the whole thing with the mup. I almost lost it when you said the mup. <laughs> <laughs> I told him, so I told him, ha ha ha, read that on the air. I don't know if that's actually going to make it worse for him being stuck at work. <laughs> you should call him and put him on speakerphone. You know what? Uh, you want to try it? <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. All right. Welcome back to We Talk About Dead People Radio. We're going to go to the phones. First caller, James. <laughs> Come on, pick up, buddy. Oh, this is going to be great. What the fuck do you want? <laughs> A giant cheese crater. <laughs> Oh, man, come on. Five seconds. Get away for five seconds. Damn it, James. Your call is forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. 2-2-2-2-2-2-2 is not available. At the tone, please record your message. When you finish recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hey, James, it's Aaron and Neil. We wish you were here and not dead. I don't know. In furry Hang prison. <laughs> furry prison. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe he'll call back later. <clears throat> yeah, make sure when you edit this that you cut out his phone number so you don't have random fans calling him. Thank you for reminding me. Cut out James's phone number. Actually, you know what? Don't cut it out. That's what he gets for not setting up his voicemail box. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so where were we? we got to keep blowing through this. Yeah. So, the, like I said, Mother Nature becomes the new devil of the Crusades, and they decide to split up once again. Tancred and Baldwin go south through what's known as Cilicia, sort of like the southern tip of Turkey, while the rest of the army goes up through the more established roads through the Taurus Mountains. Hmm. And both of them have a pretty rough time. Tancred and Baldwin have an easier time because they've got smaller forces, more maneuverable. They liberate a bunch of arm. Hold on. They liberate a bunch of Armenian Christian cities, and everyone's happy to see them. They bring out flower chains and all. Nice. Eventually, Baldwin and Tancred almost go to war with each other, uh -oh. because Tancred captures a city, 
and then Baldwin shows up. They almost fight, and they're like, oh, look, we're friends. And then Baldwin's like, hey, you ought to give me that city you just captured. And he's like, you didn't do anything. <laughs> he's like, well, they heard I was coming, and that's why they surrendered to you. Tancred's like, no, they surrendered because I killed all their defenders. He actually, he uses this pretty brilliant tactic where he sends in a few Turkopoles, which were the Turkish mercenaries they had, and they would steal some cows, and they would get the city defenders to come out, and then they were just waiting for them on the other side of the hill. Basically what Mel Gibson does in the end of The Patriot, where he, he brings them, the British over the hill, and then all the, the armies there. Oh. That's, which is really ironic that the, the Turks fall for this, considering feigned retreat is like their bread and butter military tactic, and as soon as the shoes on the other foot, they fall right into that trap. Huh, yeah, I, I guess I could, I could see that happening, though. It's like, how's your own medicine taste? Tancred said as he cut through some Turks. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if he said that, I'm just making that up. So... <laughs> he definitely so, said that. Yeah, up north, the rest of the army is having a hell of a time. Once they get up into the Taurus Mountains, a lot of their pack animals die, their horses die, there's nothing to eat or drink. They're cutting down cactuses and boiling it for tea. Fuck. That's how, like, they don't have anything to drink. A lot of people are throwing away their weapons and armor because they can't carry them anymore. It's rough. Mm. And on top of all of this, fucking bears attack. Of course. <laughs> they're, they're, one day, Godfrey is riding along and he sees this peasant getting attacked by a bear. And he decides to go in and save the day. He's your friendly neighborhood feudal lord. And... He attacks the bear. That was a Spider-Man reference, in case you don't get that movie. I got that one. All right. Look at us. We're just rolling right through these movie references here. So he attacks the bear. The bear turns to him, and he grabs him by his cape and yanks him off the horse. I guess that's what you get for being a... No capes! A no capes, yes! yes. I got one. I got oh, one. Oh, you actually beat me to that one. I'm proud of you. <laughs> so he yanks him off, and... Then Godfrey tries to draw his sword from his sheath when he's laying on it, and he slices his own leg open. Ah. He's like bleeding all over the place. I, I guess he missed his femoral artery because he survived, or he had a good surgeon to stitch it back together. Eventually, the oh, peasant's wait, screaming. Oh, wait, look, look, James is calling. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Hey, James. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> You're on the air with We Talk About Dead People. <laughs> Hello? Dead silence. Did he hang up on you? Yeah, I'm on the highway. Um, breaking the... Never mind. <laughs> uh, how's it going? It's going good. When will we be home? Well, I'm going to shoot myself. But after that, I'll be home in about half an hour. <laughs> we will probably still be going. <laughs> It's going well. Just get ready. We'll see you when you get here, okay? Break some speed oh, limits. Dude, I'm gonna get there and I'm gonna drink my fucking brains out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Alright, we'll, we'll see you in a bit, buddy. <laughs> uh, have, a, have a great night. Alright, you too. You too, sir. Alright, I hung up on. Fuck that. He sounds so salty. <laughs> He's not so happy. salty. I'm gonna drink my brains out. I've never heard him say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right so where were we uh oh bear yeah so they, they kill the godfrey cuts his own leg off so it's sort of like the that scene in i am legend where he, he gets caught up in the cable and he lands on his knife sort of that but with a sword so he and he won't recover for months like he's on a litter uh right. raymond of toulouse gets real sick at one point 
and he almost dies. Baldwin's wife dies. Like even like the most like rich and famous people on this crusade are getting sick and dying. So shit, even Nicolas Cage, I bet. Yep. Did you get that Please. reference? I don't know. He's had he's done so many movies that could be any movie. Season of the Witch, baby. No, I didn't see that. Nobody did. <laughs> no. All right. I've only seen a few Nick Cage movies. Lord of War. That's his best one, in my opinion. I've never seen him in that. It's on uh, Netflix, too. That's another one for your watch list. You're going to have like a full Netflix watch list by the end of this episode. That's great. I can't wait. So <laughs> they finally come out of the Cilician Highlands. Army's very much reduced, but they're still got a pretty formidable force. And they... What is you that? You hear the siren? We're just going to wait for that to end. Are you in danger? <laughs> no, but they, for some reason, the fire department in this town still uses like an air raid siren. Like, this is 19 fucking 20. Like, we have text messaging now. Just text your firefighters as a fire. Is it a test? Like, no, like they do. Whenever there's a fire, they ring the siren. Oh, my God. Yeah, up in uh, up in Chicago and Wisconsin in the tornado alley or whatever, they test those things all the time. It just sounds like an air raid's coming in. Yeah, the fucking Scared Stukas the shit are bombing out of me us. A kid. Sorry? The Stukas are bombing us. Yeah. The, the Germans <laughs> are back. <laughs> hey, I don't know if you play any video games, but here's an aside. In Far Cry 4, when you shoot down a helicopter, it makes the sound of a Stuka bomber. Doesn't? It's so dumb. It's so dumb. But all right, so. Whatever. All right, it's done now. <laughs> so we're back. Um. Oh, yeah, they come to Antioch, which was their main goal going through Turkey. Right. Because that Antioch was one of the largest cities in the world at the time. It had a population of like 40,000 people. It was a major metropolis, one of the holiest sites on Earth. A lot of people don't realize, but there was actually five major holy sites to um, the Catholics. It's just Rome was the only one in Western Christian hands by the time the Pope really got a lot of his powers. Like it was Rome, Constantinople... Antioch, Jerusalem, and Alexandria. Well, the Constantinople is ruled by the Eastern Roman Empire, which is Greek Orthodox. Antioch's in Muslim hands, so is Jerusalem and Alexandria. So that's why Rome became the major center of religious devotion for the Catholics. Because huh. it's, during, it's during the Crusader period where the Pope's power really expands. Like, a lot of people don't realize this. The Pope didn't have his power like he does now. I mean, at the start of the Crusades, he was at war with the Germans, so he couldn't go into the Holy Roman Empire, which was a majority of civilized Europe, and he wasn't allowed north of the Loire River. So he's he was basically the Pope of northern France and or southern France and northern Italy, and the Crusades helped swell the the papal power, which is one of the reasons why they started them, in mm. theory. Anyway, so a little aside, aside, <laughs> Antioch, <Our> yeah. <laughs> Antioch, well, Arslan's gone for now. Um, there's a new guy called Yagi Shion, which sounds like he sells drugs out of his Rastafarian van. <laughs> hey, you want to buy some weed and hacky sacks? No, thanks, Yagi. <laughs> Shaggy's to, long lost brother, Yagi. I gotta, I gotta cut my dreadlocks, man. <laughs> I gotta go surfing. Anyway, so Yagi Shion's in control of Antioch. And at this point in time, in near eastern Syria there weren't like empires like these were ruled like there were single city states 
like Aleppo and Damascus, Mosul, Antioch, Jerusalem, they were all their own sort of individual territories. Hmm. They were like roughly allied to the caliphate, which was like a head Muslim figure, but they did their own thing. And as the Crusaders approach Antioch, Yagi Shion sends letters all throughout the Muslim world. He's like, help, I got about 60,000 Crusaders outside my gates, and I need help. And eventually three relief armies would come, but the siege of Antioch would end up taking nine months in total. And it would be one of the most brutal sieges in world history. Like some of the things that the Crusaders and the residents of the city had to endure during this siege were incredible. We'll get to that. We'll get to the Crusader menu in a little bit. Okay. Uh, I hope you haven't eaten anything recently or don't plan on eating. You should probably pause this show and either eat now or you're gonna you're gonna lose your appetite when we get done this little segment here so antioch is a major fortification it was built by antiochus hence the name one of alexander's generals in 300 bc the romans had come by and done their whole fortifying thing they put like 200 towers on the wall there was two miles of wall and the city itself sat on top of a cistern and a mountain so this was a serious city the wall was like 30 feet thick so you weren't going to just knock your way through it. You, the city decided, we're going to starve the city out. Only problem is, they don't have enough men to fully encircle the city. So for like the first six months of them trying to starve the city out, supplies can still come freely in and out of Antioch. So they're really not doing their job very well. In order to put a stop to this, the Franks began building castles. They've actually built three fortresses around each gate to try to be like a forward operating base so they can react more quickly to Muslim attacks. Because all during this siege, uh, Yagi Shion sends out sally parties to attack the Crusaders. And he, he things them up pretty good several times. And there's only really two places that these attacks could come from. Because the Orontes River, which is the major river in Syria, runs right next to the city and sort of like snakes around it. And so there was two permanent bridges, and the Crusaders built a pontoon bridge. That was really the only three places where all this action could occur at. And some of the battles for the bridges are gruesome. There's one battle where they say the Orontes River is actually dammed up from all the bodies that have fallen oh. over the side of it. Yeah, the river's red. During this battle, Godfrey cuts a man in half. <laughs> like, literally in half. Like, just slices him right in two. Sorry, it's the, way, say, it's the way you said that. Literally cuts a man in half. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> like, that's recorded. Okay. Poor yep. guy. We don't even know who he was. Yep. And, like, the, the best part of the story is, like, his legs stayed, like, his horse ran away and his legs stayed in the saddle. It's like, his oh. legs bouncing on the top of a horse, just squirting blood everywhere. <laughs> that is awful. And something you would probably see in Monty Python, so... Yeah, pretty much. It's like they're, they're, the Black Knight's brother, he gets cut in half instead of losing all of his limbs. We'll call it a draw. Yep. <laughs> oh, he couldn't call anything because his respiratory system wasn't working. Anymore. That anyway, is true. So, <laughs> during this battle, like I said, three relief armies come. One comes from Damascus, one comes from Aleppo, one comes from Mosul. The first one, for some reason, comes from Damascus, even though Aleppo is literally right next door to Antioch. It's like three days ride away, but... The brothers who ruled respectively, there was Dukak of Damascus, easy to remember because they both start with D, and Ridwan of Aleppo. They were brothers. They had been at war, and Antioch was had sort of declared its independence. And Yagi Shion basically said, if you come relieve the city, Antioch is yours. So they both had a vested interest in taking this city. So 
Dukak comes up and he actually stumbles into Bohemond and this guy named Robert of Normandy in the field. They're on a foraging expedition around Christmas, trying to get their Christmas turkey. Right. And some presents <laughs> yeah. to put under the tree. And they sort of stumble onto him and a big battle ensues. And supposedly during this battle, Robert of Normandy kills 100 people. Whoa. By himself. Holy now, I don't shit. know if this is a mistranslation. Maybe it was Robert's men killed 100, but like the way it is in my book, it says Robert killed 100 people, which that guy's stamina is. I mean, if you just lined up that many people, I'm just trying to imagine killing 100 people in the span of a day with a sword. But that's what it says. And while Robert of Normandy was hacking his way through the Turkish ranks, Bohemann sneaks around the side and gets behind the Turks because they were sort of separated foraging. Mm-hmm. And this was Bowman's favorite tactic to hit the Turks in retreat because that was their bread and butter to run in and then pull back. So Bowman figures out, well, if you can distract them with a part of your force and then sneak another part to their retreat point, all of a sudden when they get there and get ready to rest, your men come out of the bushes, boom, they f- they flee. And he would use this tactic several times. And Dukak of Damascus would lose about a thousand men and then turn around and leave Antioch alone. A little bit later, his brother from Aleppo shows up with about thirty to 40,000 men. And at this point, the Crusaders only have about 700 knights left. Well, mounted knights. They still have plenty of other knights, but all the horses are dead because of starvation or they died along the road to Antioch. Punching. And, yeah, punching. <laughs> Those Turks came in and ba-boom, one-toed them. But, uh, and... Some of these knights were mounted on not horses. Like they were mounted on mules and donkeys and other sort of pack animals. They said the one donkey was so small, the guy's legs were dragging the ground when he <laughs> rode it into battle. <laughs> like at that point, why don't you just walk? Like I feel like that's more comfortable. That's maximum laziness there. This guy made the point on my, my show when I talked about this. Like it reminds me of that one scene in the second Sherlock Holmes movie with Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. Where he's afraid of riding the horses and he's just riding little Shetland pony. Oh, yeah, yeah. Forgot <laughs> Where's about the fire? That. <laughs> Forgot about that. It's, well, anyway, so they have this, they have 700 knights and they leave everyone else back at the camp because Yagi Shion's going to attack as soon as, it seems like every time Bowman leaves, they attack because Bowman's the most well known in the party. And so Ridwan comes across this place known as the Iron Bridge. The bridge wasn't made out of iron, it had iron gates, so, you know, iron gate bridge. Why um, I, they've totally they fucked that up? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you had a bridge made of iron, it would rust. So you know, it makes sense to not have iron bridges. But anyway, so Ridwan's expecting an attack at the bridge if there's going to be one because that's an easily defensible location. Mm-hmm. Total War players once again know the bridges always fuck up the AI. They always just try to charge across. Couple catapults, mangonels, boom, game over. Mm-hmm. I've seen that play many times. Yeah, brutal. I had one time I used a mangonel against an entire army, and uh, one shot, it looked like a nu- nuclear explosion going off. It froze my con- it froze the game for like two <laughs> minutes. It killed a thousand people with oh. one shot. Oh, my God. They were all just sort of bottled up next to the neck of the bridge there, and boom. I, I could just see you like leaning over your computer going, you know, that music's playing because you're winning or whatever, and then there's a thousand guys on the bridge, the mangonel fires, and then just... Like freezes, like, and you're just what the fuck? (laughs) It's all right. I had to clean up my pants afterwards, so you know I had something to do while the computer reset itself. Oh god. (laughs) So, (laughs) 
<laughs> so, um, <laughs> yes, Bowman. Bowman, what he does is he sets an ambush farther away from the bridge. So by then, Ridwan's like, well, I guess the Crusaders don't know we're coming. We're going to surprise them. And Bowman's like, tee-hee-hee-hee, you're falling into my trap. And he breaks his men into seven units. He sends six of them over the hill in units of 100, and they smash into the lines of the Turks, and the Turks quickly surround them because, you know, there's only 700, or, well, 600 of them. Bowman had the rest in reserve, and they surround them because they have 40,000. And all of a sudden, Bowman's like, yep, now's the time. And he charges, as soon as the encirclement's complete, he charges right at the rear of the formation. And they said the sight of him hacking his way through the Turkish ranks put fear in the entire army. And 40,000 men just turn around and run away. Yep, that'll do it. Just one big baby. <laughs> yep. I mean, if I saw a giant baby with piercing eyes and laughing, it oh. sounds like a threat, you know, I'm going to run away. Um, so... <laughs> Now, I'd like to speculate about this battle. I mean, I don't—I wasn't there, and no one was, so we don't know. But I like to think that Bowman killed one of the main leaders of this army. I mean, Ridwan survives because Ridwan shows up later in the story. But I think maybe one of like the major sub-commanders might have been killed in this, and this is why a, a large portion of them decided to run away. Or just it was the mob mentality. Some people start panicking, and then the rest of the army panics because, I mean— 700 men should not defeat 40,000 in hand-to-hand combat, no matter how well-trained and armored they are. Right. Especially because half of them are riding donkeys. <laughs> and Small that's donkeys. A main, that's the main reason why this battle didn't have a lot of casualties, because once the Turks decide to run away, they can't pursue them because they're riding donkeys and exhausted horses. <laughs> but on their way out, they burn like three castles down because they expected the Crusaders to keep following them. So these people weren't just in the moment scared they were legitimately terrified of Bohemond. wow so his reputation has been spread around the city or around the muslim world and actually when he gets captured later on in this the story spoiler alert they offer a ransom of 100,000 dinars which are gold pieces and i did the math on it a while ago but i forget but it, i believe it was 143 million dollars is what it translates into modern money that's fear right there yeah, fear. well, that's Bowman has a well-deserved reputation. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can get 700 people to beat 40,000, you better respect him. God damn. So, as this and while this is going on, there was a battle at the bridge. They, they just call it the, one of the bridge battles. There was a bunch of them, and the Turks actually beat the Crusaders here because one of the knights' horses runs away from him, and then they believe it's a retreat. And the army begins to scatter, and then Bowman rides back into camp. He's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Get back in your positions. And they rally again, and they push him back into the city. And all this time, Yagi Shion has been working on a strategy. Because while the siege is going on, because the siege begins in November, in the fall, some, I think it's September or November it starts, and it lasts until the next June. So... Supplies are running low in the wintertime. That's why Bowman's foraging raid was going out for Christmas. They basically picked all the areas around the city clean. There's really nowhere for them to go. At this point, certain parts of the army would actually camp like 25 miles away to sort of ease the food burden. Mm. But the one, the lifeline that was keeping the army alive was the port of St. Simeon. Different uh, Italian and Byzantine trading ships were coming in and dropping off materials and extra men and food and stuff. And the Italians throughout the First Crusade would save the Crusaders' life. 
because they would show up at just the right time, which is one of the more miraculous parts of the First Crusade is the fact that every time that they're desperately needed, boom, Italian ships just appear out of nowhere. Like, oh, I mean, they had to plan the expedition, but like the way it coincidentally lines up in just the right time, that's why a lot of people attribute a lot of these battles to miraculous means. Hmm. Anyway, so Yagi Shion knows that St. Simeon is keeping the crusaders alive so what he does is he sends out sally battles which he's not trying to win or just to distract them and while he's doing that he's sending men out of a side gate and he's slowly building up a force outside the city and that's brilliant yeah and during one of these times bowman's escorting a convoy to go get stuff from saint simeon on the way back they get ambushed by yagi shion's men and the jury's out because half the authors who wrote about bowman didn't like him right and the other half loved him the, say, the ones that like him say that he was either asleep or he wasn't present with that part of the army, and the ones who don't like him said he ran away. But considering <sighs> Bowman's track record up until now of fighting from the front, it doesn't seem likely that Bowman would run, but that's what they say. Hmm. And it was during this battle that the battle of the bridges was happening when they dammed up the Arantes River with all the dead, and Godfrey cut his men in half. <laughs> <laughs> and it was also during this battle that Yagi Shion pulled a Stalin with his order 227, like the not a step back. He sends all his men out for the Sally attempt, and he's like, well, just fucking lock the gates behind him. They're oh, gonna God. Win or they're going to die. And then after the Crusaders start hacking their way through the ranks of the Turks, he's like, you know what? I probably need a few of these guys, and he opens them back up again. And they come back in, and they're just, like, kind of pissed off a little. Yeah. Just a little. <laughs> just a little. <laughs> so, about that whole locking the gate thing, uh... One time my you dad. You tell me what that's about? One time my dad pulled up to a breakfast place that my brother and I like to go to, and we were like 13 or 14, and they just installed a sex shop next to it. And he goes and he parks oh right in front of it. And we get out to go into the breakfast place, and we realize we're in front of this sex shop, and we turn around to get back in the car, and he's locked the doors. That's probably what it felt like for those guys outside that gate. <laughs> I was, that, that story was going in a totally different direction in my head, but I'm glad that's the nah. way it ended. <laughs> He's just sitting in there laughing his ass off because we were like, oh, God. Come here, son. I'm going to show you what real tits look like. <laughs> did not happen that way. Thank God. We did get breakfast afterward, though. For Today you become a man. <laughs> Do you want Maxim or Playboy? God. Dad, why is that penis jiggling? It's called a dildo, son. God damn <laughs> I hope you don't mind if I cut this out, because my dad does listen to the show. My mom listened to my drunk episode, and she told me how disappointed she was. <laughs> we all get that shit, dude. It's part of being a podcaster. That's why, uh, that's why my off-the-rails Patreon show is going to be Patreon-exclusive, so I don't have to hear that fucking rant again. Yeah. Oof. I hope she listens to this. I hope you're disappointed, mother. <laughs> wow. Oh, don't worry. I got another. I got a line about that later in the show. Don't worry about it. So uh, <laughs> that, that theme's gonna come back again. All right. In a little bit here, we're sort of little uh, not very subtle foreshadowing. Uh oh. So um, what's next? Oh yeah. So Yagi Shion actually captures a man during this raid, and they drag him up on the walls. Like, tell your men to give up. He's like, fuck you guys. Like, you guys need. To keep up the fight, you killed almost every important person they had. And he's like, fuck Muslims and Islam, and Muhammad can suck my dick. And eventually, uh, well, that last couple pieces weren't in there. I End just sort quote. Of added, <laughs> <laughs> I just sort of added a few things. I mean, 
what he exactly said, but he was telling the Muslims where to stick it. And eventually they get a translator up there and he starts telling Yagi Shion what he said. And they said he disappears from the wall. Oh. And now the Christians, they make up a story that say that he was offered to convert and they offered him all these money and he's like, no, I'm going to go to heaven for Jesus. But I mean, there's no possible way they could have known what happened. But eventually his head was thrown over the city. Well, we do know what happened. His head was removed from his body. Yeah, we just don't know. We just don't know the exact dialogue that led up to that moment. But But we can always assume. (laughs) Telling Muhammad to suck your dick is probably a good way to get that uh, achieved. So, speaking of heads going over the walls, this is another thing that happened during the Siege of Antioch, is heads would get thrown over the walls. It wasn't a very subtle tie-in there. I just (laughs) repeated myself. (laughs) So... (laughs) So, yeah, there was the Crusaders would do their puppet shows again where they would cut off the heads and hold them on their lances and ride around like, oh, I'm Muhammad, I wasn't fast enough. And Godfrey's holding up his half torso like, oh, I can't find my legs, guys. <laughs> I don't know if that happened or not. but they, It definitely they were, happened. Definitely. They did do parades with the heads and then they would put the heads in the catapults and throw them over the walls. In response to this, the Muslims would kill a bunch of the Armenian and Syrian Christians and throw their heads over the walls. Although, it probably didn't have the same effect considering the Latin Christians didn't know any of the people. I mean, it still sucks. People are getting beheaded because of you, but it's not like you're going to see your aunt's head come flying over your shoulders. And things get even more ridiculous. The Yagi Shion at one point takes the Greek patriarch, strips him naked, chains him to the wall, and they beat him with rods. Like they spank him. (laughs) Reeds in front of the whole army when he's just dangling there. God. Upside down over the walls. Uh, there's another, they take a picture of the Virgin Mary and like throw it over the walls and disrespect it. But I think my favorite story from all this, even better than the priest getting spanked in front of the army naked, was there was this picture of Jesus in the cathedral there. And supposedly it looked like it was a real person. Like it looked like the Hogwarts pictures that moved around. Like it looked like a real person. Wow. And supposedly the eyes would follow you wherever you went. So it's sort of like those barn owls that they put to scare away the pigeons. Mm-hmm. Where the eyes sort of look like they're following you. And it freaked the Turks out. So first they get bows and they try to shoot it. And none of their arrows hit. So it's a force field there. And then they send a Turkish guy up to the rafters to yank the picture off. And as he goes up there, the raptor collapses and it kills him. <laughs> the, 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 the rafter collapses and it kills him. I mean, so Jesus was protecting his picture there. I guess he didn't want this picture of him defaced. Yeah, gotta gotta preserve that public image and kill and after, the bad guys at the same time. After that, uh, they they stopped trying to take down the picture. Interesting. And Antiochian churches have a history of interacting with their leaders. Later in the Crusade, they were trying to get rid of um, the Greek patriarch. And just as they were starting discussions to get him removed from the church, an earthquake happened, and a literal piece of the church fell off and crushed him. So, Oh, shit. So I think that was God's way of saying he wanted this guy gone. I mean, you can believe in fate or not, but, I mean, that's a little bit too coincidental. Like, a literal piece of the church falls and kills the guy that you want to get removed from the church. I mean, it's a coincidence unless you're in hot fuzz. Am I right? Uh, yeah. Tom Messenger. <laughs> I got another one. <laughs> so <laughs> You don't know how to switch off. I'm going to run into the rain with my hat. Yeah. <laughs> Bad Boys 2 or Point Break. No, I meant which one do you want to watch first? 
It's like the 15th movie reference we've made in the past like hour and a half now. It's pretty impressive. It's a theme. It's now a theme. Arslan. Yep. <laughs> Arslan. I still like uh, Perp Urban the best. Yep, that's a good one. <laughs> I think that's our best inside joke. Uh, so, heads over. Yes. So what? There's a there's a spy problem in the camp too, and this is like the ultimate act of brutality. Bowman he finds this castle filled with Turks that have been raiding supply lines, and he kills them all using Tancred's move, where he sends in a few people, draws them out, and then kills them all. Right. The irony is thick. They bring all the bodies back, and then in front of the whole city, he's like, these people were spies, because there was a lot of spies in the camp. That's how they always knew, and all the leaders were moving. And he's like, the next person we find spying, we're going to cook them, and we're going to eat them. Oh, shit. And like they put the dead people on spits, and like they roast them, and then they take them off and pretend to eat them. Huh. And so, yeah. So after that, the spy problem uh, goes away. <laughs> you would a think, A lot of people yeah. are like, yeah, well, we're not going to – we like our job for the CIA, but I don't think there's a lot of agents that would risk being eaten by another person. Right. Ugh. So, um, yeah, there goes the spy problem. And all these things were sort of happening simultaneously. I know I've sort of been like all over the place with the events, but, I mean, they were more or less happening at the same time. Chronologically, they show up. You have – Dukak's battle, Ridwan's battle, the bridge battle, 227 battle, all of those happen in the order we did them. But the like the fake cannibalism, supposedly, I mean, later in the siege there is real cannibalism. Oh, it's rumored. But the fake cannibalism happens relatively early. And eventually Yagi Shion, after his 227 battle, says, I-, I can't do this anymore. We don't have enough men to fight. So he actually declares a truce. And there's... Hmm. The gates are open. The people are intermingling. And like, there's this one story that sounds really cute. And I figured I'd throw it in there. <laughs> okay. Like the orphan children from the city and the children from the army, which is probably a bunch of other orphans too because a lot of men died on this expedition. They both like dress up as like the heroes of the crusade and like the Muslim world respectively. And they do like little battles like in front of the armies. Wow. Like they get sticks and like fat shields and they start like hitting each other. It's sort of like – like Oliver Twist, basically, like little, I imagine little British like dirty street gangs like fighting each other and like mock battles, and everyone thinks it's cute. It's basically like at the hockey games where you see like they bring in the little kids and they all skate around, and uh-huh. basically like that, like and a civil like, war reenactment or something yeah. like that. Oh, it's so cute! And then Yagi Shion starts assassinating knights, so that puts an end to the, um, the truce there. Oof, yeah, it's rough. What, the reason he does this is because word has reached him that there's a third army on its way, led by a gay, a gay, a guy <laughs> named Kerboga, not Killage, Kerboga. This is what I was trying to say earlier. Right, I remember Kerboga. Yeah, well, well, your goldfish memory actually lasted about an hour because that's when I first mentioned it. I'm, I'm proud of you. You mentioned you, it before. What the hell are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, that's why we started calling Arslan Arslan. Who's Who's Arslan? Who say, are you? How? Why am I recording this? Okay, I'm going to stop that joke. It's not funny. <laughs> Can you hear the audience uh, laughing? Uh, even the Big Bang Theory wouldn't laugh check that line. Oh, okay. Hey, James is back. Oh, is he, did he text you or is he joining in the call? He's he's trying to get into the hangout because he thinks we're hanging out. Oh. Can we? I don't think we. Can we add a third person to a. Ongoing Skype. Oh yeah, we can right here. Okay. You just have to find, text him, and find out his Skype info. And it's not cheating if it's with a guy. 
Uh, say that again one more time for the people in the back. <laughs> it's not cheating if it's with a guy. Just real quick that we're back to actual talking. Oh, what? Uh-oh. Now he's calling me back. Yo. Shit. Carry on. Let's go. All right, so Kerboga is showing up, and he actually would have beaten the Crusades had it not been for the actions of Baldwin of Borg. No, wait, that's not his name. Baldwin of Borg? <laughs> no, well, that, that was a... It was a that's Baldwin the second. Okay. I'm, flashbacks to the Crusader State series keep popping in my head. Baldwin of Bologna. There we go. Ah. He had actually, before the Crusaders had reached Antioch, he had actually been asked to come do some mercenary work for an Armenian lord mm. in Edessa. And so he goes in, he gets adopted in some weird ceremony where they take their shirts off and then they put on a big shirt where they're like facing each other and like he's adopted and then like two days later adopted dad is dead and he's left in charge of the city it's a little suspect but hmm. and Edessa actually would become the first official crusader state because it falls before Antioch does huh and Kerboga comes from Mosul which is in Iraq and so is Edessa so Edessa is actually on the way so he stops at Edessa for two weeks to besiege it before he moves on to Antioch and if it wasn't for Baldwin being there at Edessa, Kerboga would have showed up before the Crusaders can take the city. And he would have more than likely destroyed the army. So, hmm. Baldwin's selfishness actually saved the Crusade. So, they hear about Kerboga coming, and the closer he gets, the higher and higher the numbers are. And if their initial estimates were wrong. There's, like, really there's 50,000 people coming to this battle. He takes a lot of the men that we're in Ridwan and Dukak's armies and brings them in to get their revenge. And so Bohemond comes up with a strategy. He walks into the command tent. He says, listen, we should agree that whoever can actually engineer the capture of the city should be the one to take it. And they're like, well, we promise we give it to Alexius. He's like, well, if Alexius doesn't show up, I'll, I'm going to keep it if we can take it. He's like, whatever, we'll do it. He's like, oh, by the way, guys, I should have said this earlier, but I have a way to get into the city. Because I have a guy on the inside. During the truce, Bohemond had made contact with a tower commander named Firuz. Now, Firuz is a bit of a scandalous figure. Because we don't exactly know why he let Bohemond into the city. One source says that he was an oppressed Christian. At Yagishian had been a dick to the Christian population. And he was trying to get back at him. Although, why would you have an oppressed Christian manning one of your walls with a gate? But... That's besides the point. <laughs> um, another one says that Bowman had captured his son, and he was holding his son for ransom. And he, if you give me the city, you get your son back, which is believable. But I, my favorite theory, and this was this is going to come out of left field. You're, you're going to be stunned by this. Okay, is that Firuz and Bowman were gay for each other? Oh, yeah. That, that's a room, and actually, if you read some of the, because we still have some of the letters that Bowman sends for Ruse, like, it's some pretty flowery language. Like, I mean, he's not specifically saying, I want you inside me, but, mm. I mean, like, the way they talk to each other, it's a little, it's a little fruity. Mm. Bowman's putting a lot of, a lot of flirt into his letters, and actually, I made the theory when I talked about this that, Bowman was just using Firuz. He made him think they were going to be together in love once Antioch <gasps> fell, and then once oh. Bowman had what he wanted, he just dumped him. Wow, I mean, he pulled a he pulled a real thought move on him. That's a <laughs> <laughs> that's but, that is cold, man. 
Yeah, the whole gay thing sort of came about later because a lot of contemporary historians did not want to admit. I mean, if it was true, you wouldn't find a lot of medieval Catholic scholars who were trying to lionize Bowman's reputation, bringing up the fact that he was gay because that was a big no-no. Right. I mean, it still is. I mean, Pope Francis is trying to be cool and say that gay people are allowed in the Bible, and they're not. But, I mean, back then, it was definitely, like, yep, we're going to kill you if you're gay. Like, it's unnatural. Mm-hmm. You're dead. So, that's more than likely suppressed by the sources. One of the sources was, uh, the Gesta Francorum was written by an unknown soldier who served under Bowman. So, he's definitely not going to throw that in there if that was true. But... Let's keep that in mind. Farouz may have wanted to suck Bowman's dick. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. I don't know if it's true or not, but like I said, several reputable historians have talked about it, so that's my theory because I like the most outrageous of all the all theories. I mean, I try to throw out the rational ones too and let people decide because I don't like to tell people what to think when it comes to history. At the end of the day, history is just a matter of opinion anyway. It's like, who do you believe? So I, I give everyone as many options as possible but i like to go with the most ridiculous one just because it's the easiest to make jokes about (laughs) i always go with herodotus (laughs) oh yeah herodotus he's got some interesting uh i read him for um whatchamacallit never mind i had the wrong classical historian anyway so fuck me (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking of arian i read arian when i did alexander the great Oh okay. Uh, anyway, I got my I got my oh, I can't even talk anymore. Fuck. You're doing I'm fine. <laughs> I'm stuttering. I sound like a, a retarded I don't know. I got to get you a drink. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I need some heroin. Oh Jesus. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I need some heroin slurp. <laughs> oh All man. Right. So, well, hey, um, look at this. It says that James is in the – he's invited to the call, but he's not in the call. What could he be doing? Okay, doesn't matter. What if he's just been here for the past, like, 20 minutes is lurking in the call, not saying a word, just and, being real creepy about it? And then at the very end, he'll say something. <laughs> I was here. Oh, here he is. James joined. What? 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 Have they found the Holy Spear of Christ yet? <laughs> what? <laughs> we're so glad you could make it james i almost had a heart attack for real that time (laughs) holy shit (laughs) have you been waiting all day to say that (laughs) james just let me double check you are recording right now right Damn it! God damn it! You James. weren't recording. Okay. The- no, <laughs> I'm recording. <laughs> All right. Holy fuck! That was amazing. We missed you, James. Oh, I take back. Oh. We have to take back some of the things we said about you earlier. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh my God. Well, I think so hard. I was drooling. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to share your tale of woe briefly, James? Oh, um, yeah, for like the 10 second version is I I told I told my employer that I really 
couldn't work longer than eight hours today. And so they were like, uh-huh, sure. Well, we still need our cheese sticks, so you're gonna work 11 hours today. And I was like... <laughs> so I just shut up. I'm here now. I've got an entire <laughs> bottle of Merlot. It's open. Oh boy. <laughs> it is all for me. Are you, sure that, are you sure that's not NyQuil and you're just too drunk already to tell the difference? <laughs> well, as long as it stops my coughing fits, I don't care what it is. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I I don't know. I, ever, I still can't. I keep replaying the whole smear of Christ thing in my head and I can't think straight right now. So thanks, James. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, have they? <laughs> where are where are we? Are we like still uh, still in Constantinople, or have we made it? No, to, we're uh, to we're the outside the gates of Antioch right now. Oh, Antioch, you said? Yeah. We're still. Oh, oh shit. Okay, I'm buckled in. <laughs> All right. So, and you're at the most exciting part of the battle too. So, Firuz wants to suck Bowman's dick, and Good. he opens up the gates to him. They. Bowman actually, he makes this like a super like top secret mission. Mm -hmm. He he doesn't tell any, he only tells the other crusade leaders. So they actually ride, the knights all ride out if they're going on patrol. And then they show up at the walls. They're like, Bowman, what the fuck are we doing here? This is the city. And they throw down a rope ladder and they kill the sentries on the wall. And then throw the gates open and then blow a horn and start yaying. Yaying. Start yelling. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Yay, the city is ours! I don't know why I just did a Skeletor voice right there. It was good. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I don't even watch Defenders of the Universe, so. Or He-Man, I meant. It's Masters of the Isn't Universe. Isn't that just Fox News? Mas <laughs> I mean. Bill Hannity. Sean Hannity. I'm having a fucking stroke over here. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so. They throw the gate open and yell. Or they yee. Deus Volt, mm. and all the, the army wakes up. They're like, "What is going on?" Like the city is ours, and they just rush into the city and start killing everyone: mm. Christians, Syrians, Muslims, atheists, agnostics. Everyone's getting killed. Jeez. And yeah, they were trying to. They didn't want to kill the Christian population, but I mean, it's dark. Their blood is up, and they don't speak the same language. Yeah. So. I mean, they all, I mean, they dress and look the same, so it's like, yeah, well, they all look like Mexicans to me. So they start cutting through them. Oh, wait, wait what continent are we on? <laughs> North America. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> Bowman, Bowman is from Toronto, after all. I mean, so. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he's not, he's definitely, he was Canadian before they were nice. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. No, that's not true. Canadian before they were bacon. My point is, is I was using, like, the old, like, the old racial thing. Like, oh, they all look the same to me. Right, well, they right. all look the same in the dark. And they killed just about everyone, except for the prostitutes. Of course. <laughs> they, saved, <laughs> they saved the prostitutes. Okay, well. <laughs> well, if there was ever a historical plus side to being hot, this was it. See, now I've got <laughs> my human connection to these characters. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're in your killing frenzy. All of a sudden, a 10 walks by. Like, you know what? We're going to keep her alive. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. So, because it was... They didn't mention it when they were talking about the sack of the city, but a later priest was complaining that all the men were getting laid too much. <laughs> and they weren't their wives, so... 
there had to be some women in the army who were putting out, so they must have kept some people alive. Yeah. But during the slaughter, like they, one, they believe it was Raymond of Aguilar said every single squ- uh, street corner and square had dead bodies on it. Like there was dead people, limbs and shit, intestines, Ugh. all kinds of wonderful, gory stuff in the middle of the Syrian summer too. Cause this happened oh, in uh, yeah. June. So yeah, you get some nice stinkers there in a couple of days. <laughs> they should open a Halloween store. Like they're they already have the products. I don't. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, believe me, we're gonna get real Halloweeny here in a few minutes. Perfect. So the, the, the Turks retreat up to the citadel. There's three citadels. They fall back to the farthest one up on top of the mountain. And two days later, Kerboga's army shows up. Mm-hmm. So they did this just in the nick of time. Mm-hmm. He said, if it wasn't for Edessa being there. In that two-week period, Kerboga would have caught up and destroyed them previously. Mm. And now they have a perfectly defensible city. The walls weren't breached at all because they had just opened a gate. So the city was ready to go. Only problem was is there's no food in the city. Mm. They had been starving the city for nine months, and there was nothing to eat inside. And I'm just going to go through, because I saved this up. That's what I was talking about. I get in Halloween-y. I'm going to go through the different things that... The Crusaders had to eat. So when they first get there, there was all there was an abundance everywhere. It had been a pretty bountiful summer that year. Sure, sure. But that quickly runs out. So they begin by eating the horses yes. and the donkeys and camels. They eat camel brain and tongue and all other parts of the animal they would never eat before. Hmm. They went real Native American and used every part of the animal here because they were starving to death. Sure. And then they killed the cats and the dogs, and then they had to start killing field mice and rats. They started eating insects. Mm. Uh, eventually, they started eating animal intestines, which is probably the worst of all of them because oh. anyone who's ever gutted a deer before that's been gut shot knows that is one of the most foul smells in the world is deer intestine. Well, oh. I know Yankee Candle turned my idea down for that <laughs> smell, so <laughs> yeah. I, uh... Yeah, well, they, they couldn't get enough deer to be killed ethically killed for it they're not allowed to buy wild games that's probably why they shot you down it was probably a a nice smelling candle but Mm. you know procurement would be a problem unless you make a specialty candle and sell it to a hallmark on the site for extended prices why am i talking about this i don't fucking know (laughs) (laughs) i can check that off my bucket list get neil to rant about candles Uh, non-existent candles too that's the worst part about it they're not even real candles I can't believe so, we didn't have the candle rant already. I mean, really. That's true. Well, we, that's what we needed you here for. I mean, once you showed up, all of a sudden, it all fell together. <laughs> candle rant. So, you should have heard some Terrible of the rants we had earlier. Oh, we oh, had a God. heart attack. There was a, a microchip in the back of my head. The furries were coming to kill you guys. You missed a hell of a show, James. You're going to have to go Wait, back what and about the furries? The ed- oh, you'll see. You'll oh, learn no. some things about the furries. <laughs> oh. You'll see. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> oh, you'll be even more speechless once you hear it. Okay. The less so, you say, the better. <laughs> so, so we have this Crusader cook show going yeah. on. We oh, I'm not done yet. We still okay. got a list of. I'm still listening. Ingredients. Sweet. So once they run out of animals and intestines to eat, they start boiling leather. I mean, leather is made out of cowhide, so they just boil it until it's soft enough to sort of gnaw on for a while. You can see them, like, sitting there next to the crock pot going, why didn't we think of this before? It smells so good, and it's not intestine. (laughs) Well, they would would eat manure, too, to try to find seeds. (laughs) 
Yeah. Okay. It was rough. Well. <laughs> and actually, because during this time period, a lot of people started having visions. And my theory that I put forward when I talked about this was that these people were tripping because they had been eating manure. And anyone who knows their psychedelic drugs know that's where magic mushrooms come from, manure fungus. Well, so, or they were fasting and and in a real, like a forced fasting. Yeah. That, well, I mean, I it's know. probably a combination of the two. But I mean, anyway, so it was into this whole thing. And it wasn't just that there was... um. There was starvation in the city. Corboga was actively attacking them because the citadel that Yagi Shion's son was controlling, because Yagi Shion had pieced the fuck out of there once sure. the Crusaders got there. They he opened the door. He take he dresses like a peasant, but for some reason he keeps his jewel encrusted uh, scabbard. And some peasants see him like you're no peasant can afford something like that. And so they cut his head off and send it back to the Crusaders. So Shams al-Dala, his son, takes over Corboga. Hmm. removes him. He says, give me the Citadel or I'm going to let the Franks take your Citadel and kill you. So, Kerboga's lieutenant gets installed, and they begin a series of running battles back and forth. Because these there's two Citadels sit on a hill, and in the middle there's a cistern, and that cistern leads to the only gate into the city from the Citadel. So, in order to keep the Muslims out of the city, they got to keep fighting in this valley. Hmm. And it's a, a week of constant battle. The one contemporary says... A man who was thirsty didn't have time to drink or eat. And these people were literally passing out from exhaustion and one of the first historical recorded combat stress reactions. Hmm. We, I mean, a modern psychologist or doctor recognizes it right away. When men are extent in extended combat, they get drowsy. Their emotions are all over the place. Some of them mentally break and go insane. But the most common side effect of this is extreme exhaustion. Men will just fall asleep randomly. And these guys were in full armor, just collapsing and falling asleep like a bunch of narcoleptics. Well, that's nice, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this this battle, um, the Two Hills, what I call it, doesn't have an official name, but it's one of these little mini battles in the whole siege of Antioch. It basically resembles like World War One. You have two sides in fortified positions, mm. and every day they just keep running into each other, and it was brutal fighting. Yeah. After a week, Kerboga realizes that his Turks aren't are no match for the Crusaders because even though they're starving and hallucinating, Crusader armor and weapons are still far superior to Turkish stuff. They excel at field battles where they can maneuver their horses, not street fighting. Sure. So, Kerboga leaves some men to guard the bridge outside the city, and he pulls the majority of his army a few miles back from the city, and he decides, well, I'm just going to wait. They're eventually just going to starve to death. They're going to run out of literal, literal shit to eat. Mm-hmm. And intestines and leather and book bindings and they're gonna die and it was during this time period that the crusaders find the holy lance oh yes (laughs) they found it (laughs) did they find how did they find it were they like all right right, this is this is good so there's this guy named peter bartholomew oh peter the hermit no. Oh, shit. Different Peter. <laughs> I thought there was only one Peter. No, there's like four Peters in this story, and all of them are visionary prophets. It's fucking confusing. Okay. So, Peter Bartholomew is a peasant. He gets visited after an earthquake. Because mm. I forgot to mention, there was an earthquake in the middle of this siege. Right. And after this earthquake, he's supposedly visited by St. Andrew, who takes him 
by his hand, like his spirit through his hand, like they're in fucking Aladdin. They're just sort of flying through the air. Or right. Actually, no, Peter Peter Pan's probably the better announce because there's no flying carpet. They're just floating around. Mm-hmm. He brings him over to this church, and he's like, this is the Holy Lance that people don't know who Holy Lance is. It's the spear that stabbed Jesus to make sure he was dead, otherwise known as the Spear of Longinus or the Spear of Destiny. Mm-hmm. It's... Uh, Numerous places around the world have claimed to have the Holy Lance, and none of them look like the Roman Pelum, so they're all full of shit. But who has <laughs> the Holy Dance? This is the question. But I know who has the real Holy Lance. It's John Constantine. Okay. He has it after the, the devil's son tried to come back through this world through the psychic. Oh, that's right. That's right. That, has, that's, that's a good reference. A it's a Constantine. Yes. It's a, yep. That's a that's a Keanu Reeves movie. Yeah. Yes. I've, I've played Mass Effect before. I know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite scene in that movie is when he tells them that they have the Spear of Destiny, and the devil's like, oh, "They have the Spear of Destiny." <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, it's a spear. It's not a gun. <laughs> well, it can bring the devil's son into this world to end the world. So you know, it's pretty important. Anyway, long story short, this isn't the Spear of Destiny, but the people believe it is. I mean, even his contemporaries were like, this is bullshit. And eventually, he would end up getting burned alive for it. But that's, I'm going to tell that story a little bit later. Okay. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Yeah. But they bring the lance through the city, and the armies cheer in. And, like, we're going to have three days Woo-hoo! of fasting. Yeah. Which is pretty tone deaf when your people are literally starving to death. Like, oh, we're gonna fast. It like, sounds better. We've been we've been fasting for the past month now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, just a little side note, I never understood what the big deal with fasting was. Like, whenever I'm hungry, like I'm not thinking about how much I love Jesus. I'm thinking about I want to get fucking food in my stomach right now, and that's <laughs> all I think about. Like, if anything, fasting is more distracting to me than. Well, it turns into Jesus, right? Yeah, well, eventually, if you fast long enough, you get to go see Jesus because you starved to death. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But anyway, off topic. Sorry, I had a little mini religious rant there. Too many days in Sunday school. We anyway, love those, yeah. So, um, oh, fuck, where was I? Oh, yes. Spear the of Destiny. Yep. Yeah. So, they get all, they all pray for forgiveness of sin, and they're like, you know what, we're going to go for broke here we're all gonna starve to death in a few days anyway so we may as well go out with our boots on so the holy lance is brought out and the army deploys now kerboga is criticized by some historians who say he should have attacked as soon as he got word from the citadel but in kerboga's defense he wants the crusaders to fully deploy because this is where his style of warfare is more favorable yeah well, he's got the mobile cavalry. You don't really fight very well inside the city, and he doesn't want to have to kill half the. He doesn't want to have to kill half the army and then have to go fight the other half again. Yeah. So he lets them deploy. He's like, "Well, they're starving to death. They're not going to be able to do much anyway." And according to one source who wasn't there, so they don't know, but Kerboga was playing chess when this happened. He's like, "Hold on, let me finish this game first. I'm not going to worry about well, the well, there, Bobby Fisher." <laughs> Yep. Yeah, a little little advertisement for you guys for next week's episode. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm. Oh, look at that. I'm promoting, and I don't even work on this show. Hey! You do now, son. You do now. No, I hear. Six bucks an hour sound. <laughs> I, will put the, I will put the furry microchip back in and destroy no, God, the show no. before I do that. No, no. 
Shaheem says no idea what the fuck is going on. <laughs> I know, but I'd, I'd rather not be turned on while we record, so just leave that stuff about the he's, he, he's doing so well, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. So. Thanks, man. <laughs> they deploy, and after this chess game, Kerboga talks to one of his experts on Frankish warfare. He's like, I thought you said that they would never come to attack us. He says, I told you they would never win. I never said they wouldn't attack. How could I possibly guarantee that? <laughs> and Kerboga deploys his forces, and there's a big battle. The Crusaders march out in six lines with Bowman in the rear. Or apparently he likes it, according to Farouz. <laughs> oh, and, yeah, but who the fuck is Farouz, okay? Let's be honest. <laughs> he was the... Anyway. <laughs> not, we're not gonna go there. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna go... I'm Another not Yankee candle, okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bowman's strategy is the same... Bowman's strategy is the same as his other battles. He wants to get the army engaged and then swing around to the rear and hit them when they're not expecting it. The old swinger, yep. Yep. <laughs> but it turns out he wouldn't need to do this because as he swings to hit the camp, the battle is already over. Because the first ranks of Turks who were guarding the bridge start getting massacred by the Franks. And the reinforcements can't break the Crusader line because as always, the Crusader infantry is nearly invulnerable to... Turkish arrow fire when it's in tight formation. So Kerboga's learning the same lesson that Arsalan and all the other Turkish lords learned a long time ago is you don't fuck with Tur with the Frankish knights. The yeah. only way you're going to beat them is if you trick them into breaking formation and chasing after them and you get to kill their horse. Right. And, mm. I mean, every now and again one gets lucky and gets an arrow through train mail, but in a shield wall formation you're not getting much through there. Mm. No. And at some point during the battle, the bridge guards pull back and hit the advancing infantry and cavalry, and there's chaos everywhere, and a brush fire starts. Oh, God. And as the brush fire starts, it turns into total panic. The people start pulling back in all directions. There's chaos, and Bowman comes out to take the camp and finds the Crusaders already looting it because the battle is over. Sure. So this is one of the few battles that Bowman didn't have a big part in. But, I mean, he would have if they hadn't a run. Now, there's several theories to what happened. Either the brush fire was accidental, and they believed it was a sign to fall back, or Bohemond had negotiated for them to do this. Because Bohemond was actually getting pretty close with, um, getting pretty chummy with Kerboga's lieutenant up in the Citadel. Huh. And he was saying, listen, they actually had an agreement that if Kerboga was defeated, the lieutenant would surrender the Citadel with no more trouble. Hmm. And we believe that him and Tancred, which was his nephew, put it in his ears like, listen, we don't want to have to kill you guys. You, we know you don't want to be here. If you just run away, we won't chase you. And they believe the brush fire might have been the signal for that to pull away. Hmm. Because Kerboga ruled through fear, and he was a bit of an asshole to his people. And a lot of people that were there weren't exactly his soldiers. They weren't there because they loved Kerboga. Right. And so they got the chance to betray him, and they did. Or they were just fucking terrified of half-starved crusaders who were singing religious songs while they were slaughtering them, holding a rusted piece of iron above their heads. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Well, I mean... Or a, that's... or a combination of all of them. I mean, I went to Christian college, so I know what that's like. Yeah, I mean, you get pumped up during praise and worship, you never know what's going to happen. Mm -mm. That sword's going to come down. I went to a Pentecostal high school. You ought to see what some of those... Some of those people catch the spirit. 
It's a fucking party. Oh, man. Yeah, that sounds great. Can we go now? Yeah. <laughs> but once, field trip? I once saw somebody collapse and just lay there, like, shaking for a half an hour. After you, they, you stabbed them? No, like, they just, like, oh. fell over, and they started, like, mumbling shit in a foreign language, just, like, shaking <laughs> like they were having a seizure. I'll have what he's having. <laughs> yeah. It was, a, it was a powerful experience. It was an interesting trip. Hmm. Anyway. Um... That was the last time I cried, by the way. It was back in 2012. Jeez. You haven't cried since then? Damn it, Aaron. Nope. We gotta work harder. <laughs> Can no, we make... I'm, an, I'm, I'm a sociopath. Okay. Um, That's why I'm good at talking about slaughter and making jokes about it, because I don't feel emotionally connected to people who die. Sure, sure. Anyway, it's really <laughs> dark. <laughs> <laughs> so now that the FBI is on their way, let's uh, let's continue. <laughs> Fucking market. Oh, so now Bowman finally has his prize. He's taken Antioch. It's his. Everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows from sure. here on out. I believe it. Well, except for the fact that a disease ravaged the camp for the next month, but you know, potato, potato. other than that, yeah. sunshine and rainbows. Because I guess having forty thousand corpses rotting next to you for the past month is bad for public hygiene. Ugh. You yeah. don't really have to be a microbiologist to figure that one out. Oh, good, because I'm not. Yeah, and for the next six months, the crusade would stall. Now, part of this was more than likely they needed a break. I mean, they just endured marching through Anatolia and lost like 30,000 men along the way. Sure. They had just been outside the city for eight months and inside it for one starving to death. So, you know, they earned a little Babies. bit of R&R. Sure, if you insist. So... You know, Middle Ages people, they're so weak now, you know, they only endure nine months of starvation and siege, and they have to take six months off. I mean, these guys were kind of the original millennials, right? Yeah. <laughs> actually, the millennium had just passed, so they actually were yeah. the original millennials. Yeah, exactly. So. Oh my god, it's all connected? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, okay, so let's just... Illuminati, Freemasons, <laughs> and let's CIA, Bush to 9-11. Well, let's just... How, how long would the three of us... Uh, endure such a situation. I would give us. I would give me about eight seconds. I give Aaron about seven seconds. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, there's really nowhere to go. I mean, you're two thousand miles from home at this point. It is true. It actually, it actually reminds me of a speech that Baldwin the First would give one of the future kings of Jerusalem. He gives this. There's a battle against incredible odds, and he says, "Fight." Or be strong and of good cheer and fight with courage. He says, surely if you fall today, your names will be among the blessed. But if you should decide to run, just remember, France is indeed a very long way away. Oh, that's a long so, run. <laughs> yeah. You got to cross some, some water, too, unless you go the long yep. way around. Yep. Mm. It's 2,700 miles the land route was from France to Jerusalem, I believe. Hmm. It's in the 2000s. It's in the mid 2000s somewhere. Well, you get to mile 2000, you're looking around, you're like, Do I get frequent flyer miles? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shit, this is so, Kazakhstan. <laughs> fuck, I went the wrong way. <laughs> so, and after the R&R &R is done, Raymond of Toulouse starts starting shit like the little bitch he is. Oh, he's, God. He's like an asshole throughout the entire yeah. campaign. He was. He was the old money, the richest of all the crusade lords. Mm. He had the largest army, and he thought he was so important. The Pope chose me to be the official leader of the crusade because I took the cross first. 
I'm so important. And Bowman's like, yeah, kid, get the fuck out of my city. This is my city mm. now. And Raymond's like, no, it's my city. Uh-oh. I did it. And so he garrisons a tower and eventually he decides to move out and they attack a city called Marat where they end up cannibalizing people in public. Holy shit. Because they run shit. out of food. Yeah, before it was it was rumored in Antioch that people had gone off into the hills secretly and cannibalized. No one really thought worse of them. But at Marat, they're like, fuck it, we're hungry, and we may as well use this to intimidate the garrison, and they just start slicing off chunks of dead Turks and cooking them. No, okay, hold on. I mean, you Turkey make this bacon. sound bad, but I'm who... Look, we've all done it, okay? We've all eaten a Turk before, and we, we just need to stop this... Never, never mind. It's a culture of shame, right, James? It is, yeah, and... Fat shaming, cannibal shaming. Yeah, yep. Exactly, yeah, and <laughs> it's it's time for things to change, because oh, there's nothing like a human finger. Will you sign my petition? <laughs> Change.org. Nothing ever changes. <laughs> and you don't matter. So after Marat falls they kill everybody inside and word sort of spreads throughout the near east like stay the fuck out of the way of these crusaders sure they're wild they'll eat you literally they'll, they'll cook you and eat you in front of your loved ones Ugh. and at this point we lose bowman for a while because he stays up in antioch he escorts the crusade like 50 miles away from the city and then he just turns right back around again and efficient goes back to the city mm-hmm. yeah and the reason why they allow him to keep it is because they use a little bit of legal maneuvering to get out of their oath with Alexius. Because if you remember from earlier, they promised to give any taken territory back to the original owners, which would have been the Byzantines. Mm-hmm. Right. So he never showed up at the Siege of Antioch. Alexius was supposed to be there, and he just never showed up. That's why they ended up waiting a month inside the city starving, because they were told Alexius was right around the corner, and he never showed up. Because at the beginning of the siege, there was an infamous incident where there's people that were known as rope dancers or rope danglers, people who had lowered themselves over the rope, over the wall with rope, and had run away. And they had told one of the prominent crusade leaders who was camped far away from the city, wasn't part of the sack, Stephen of Blois, hey, Kerboga's coming, there's no food in the city, we're all fucked. And so Stefan decides to go home. And on his way home, he runs into Alexius. He's like, hey, shit's fucked. There's no point in going to Antioch. And so Alexius just turns his army around and goes home. So Well, the Crusaders Stefan will understand that, I'm sure. Well, it, it helped out Bohemond because Bohemond now gets to use that, as a, use that as his excuse to give up Antioch. He doesn't have to be the emperor's subject. Sure, sure. And he creates the second Crusader state, the Principality of Antioch. Nice. And... Just, I mean, you're going to demonize Stefan. His wife did that for you. She, um, she doesn't take too kindly when Stefan shows up without completing his pilgrimage. And she shames him. And she makes him strap his armor back on and go back for the Crusade 1.5, as I call it. She, 1101. She was definitely banging the milkman. I'm, I'm just uh, going to throw that out there. Well... Well, she was actually one of the daughters of Norman the Conqueror, so exactly. pretty big name in Europe. Yep. So she's like, "You're a pussy, Stefan. Like, what are you doing home?" <laughs> I had I did this whole little bit when I talked about him in my show. I said, um, "She comes home. She's like, oh, I heard that you uh, you're back from Crusade. Yeah, I just got back in. 
take my armor off, finally home. He's like, well, I heard a rumor that you weren't fucking there. You didn't show up, and people are talking. No one respects you anymore. <laughs> so I tell you what, I'm going to take this studded cudgel here, and I'm going to peg you with it every single night until you decide to strap that armor back on and go back to the Holy Land. And Stefan just turns promptly around and runs back out the door and back to the Holy Land again. That's all it takes. I mean, it's kind of hot, yeah. I mean, if your wife's threatening to peg you so suddenly during the night, no night is safe. <laughs> you might want to just take your take your chance with the Turks. Sure. I know I would. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But, like, there was... Like, the worst part is, like, I didn't make that much of that story up. Like, there were contemporary rumors that she was cuckolding him in bed. Sure. Like, she wouldn't let him, like, she was fucking other guys in front of him. I or, told like, she you. she wouldn't let him fuck her. Mm -hmm. So I just, I mean, I sort of expanded on that idea, but I mean, I'm not deviating that far from the sources here. So Stefan gets what he deserves. Mm. And he would, he would die at the Battle of Ramla, so he gets what he deserves. Yeah. yeah. Fuck him. For sure. But if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't have had the couple hundred years of history of the Principality of Antioch. I mean, I guess it was a significant thing. Everything happens for a reason. True. So anyway, as they're moving down through Anatolia, they besiege the city of Arka. They get the Emir of Tripoli to bribe them to leave. And they basically blitz through Judea and Palestine to get to Jerusalem. They leave Arka in the middle of the night, and within a month, they're outside the gates of Jerusalem, and... Nobody expected them to be there so soon. Mm. And when they got there, they weren't fighting Turks anymore. Now they were fighting Egyptians, who were supposed to be their friends. They had actually met with Egyptian ambassadors outside of Antioch and discussed working together against the Turks. Because despite the fact that the Turks were Muslims... Everybody hates the, the Turks. Turks. Well, the Turks were invaders. Yep. Yeah, they were from the, they were the steppes. They were the ruling elite of a minority. And they weren't even the right Muslim sect. They were um, Sunnis instead mm -hmm. of Shias, which the Fatimids were. Mm -hmm. But Al-Afdal, the vizier, which was the ruler of uh, Egypt, had taken Jerusalem in the chaos after the fall of Antioch. So now it's a little bit awkward. Like, hey, we're supposed to be friends. Why did you shut the gate of the city to us? And... <laughs> The guy had poisoned the wells, and there was no little food and water. Yeah, the, oh. the siege of Jerusalem is another rough time. Ugh. We don't really have time to get into it because Bowman's not there. I'm going to sort of skip over it. It's, Basically, yeah. the, the, the TLDR, they sit outside the walls for a couple months. Godfrey and Raymond sit on opposite ends of the city because they're not talking to each other. They had a little bit of a sibling rival, or right, not sibling rivalry, right. but sort of the same. They're, they're not... They're not talking to each other. After Peter Bartholomew went up like a fucking marshmallow. <laughs> All right, I should, Did I they eat him afterwards? Because that, that would without no. well. So I should. I, I'm gonna go on a tangent here. I'm gonna explain that little reference there. I Please. call him Peter the Crispy. <laughs> he um, all throughout the after he founds the Holy Lance, he's become like the official mouthpiece of God now. Sure. Adamar of Lepuy, the papal legate, dies during the disease that strikes the city, and he was always against the Holy Lance. He's like, this is not the real Holy Lance, which it wasn't. It was just a spork. Yeah. As soon as he dies, he's like, oh, Adamar came to me in my dreams and said he's in heaven now, but God sent him to hell first because he didn't believe in the Holy Lance. Well, first of all, that's not how heaven and hell works. You're either in one or the other. You don't get to bounce back and forth when God's pissed at you for something. That's what you think. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, true. I mean. So, eventually, 
Peter's rantings get more and more bizarre. And then eventually he says, one night Jesus comes to him and says, you need to kill a fifth of the army. Hmm. They're not here for the right reasons. They're just here for plunder or glory. They're not here because they want to go to the Holy Sepulchre and just fucking kill him. Mm-hmm. And after that, everyone's like, you know what? You went too far, Peter. You know, and... but but hold on, hold on. Maybe Jesus yeah. did tell him because Jesus did kill that Turk by breaking the banister or the... You see... All you have to do is look farther back in the Bible mm. to, what was that, uh, Judges. Really, any of the Old Testament, yeah. <laughs> no, well, this is, you gotta, listen, I got this. Okay. Bible scholar Neil here. Mm-hmm. Book of Judges, we have the story of Gideon. He's got his army, 10,000 men. God says, too many people. So he devises the test. He says, anyone who's scared, go home. They lose a few thousand men. Then they do a test with the water. I forget, it was like licking it up or cupping it in your hands. Long story short, there's 300 people left in the army, and God's like, yeah, that's enough. We're This is what we're going to need. This will prove how miraculous I am. So the moral of the story is when God doesn't want someone in his army, he sends them home. He doesn't fucking execute them in front of the army like a criminal. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so... <laughs> So after this, the Norman clerics begin to start trash-talking Peter. Apparently, Peter was a fan of the prostitutes. And that's a no-no if you're a biblical prophet. Crispy. And they they start, uh, yeah, it's a good tie in there. I like that. They start uh, talking shit about him, which may have been from order from Bohemond, because if you remember, Bohemond and Raymond of Toulouse don't get along. So, And Raymond was using Peter to advance his own cause. He had taken him in as his patron. So basically, um, fuck, I can't remember his name. You guys see Peter? What a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Raymond of Toulouse was like a Patreon supporter who gives like a fuck ton of money and he gets to decide what the show says now. Right, right. Because he, he's paying for everything. <laughs> That's so <laughs> wait, 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 Neil, 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 Neil. Are you saying this, this could happen because... I I would gladly support your show if if I <laughs> if you become my mouth of Sauron. I mean, this is America. For enough money, I'll do anything. Wow, my night has been made. Okay, capitalism. We're gonna sell some fucking candles together, James. Yep. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> yep. We're gonna call it. We're gonna call it Confederate candle to oppose Yankee. There we go. There ah, we go. Oh, that's a good marketing oh. ploy. <laughs> Yeah, and then we can put the Confederate flag on there, which will turn it into a controversial meme. Oh, which will God. get the news to report More on press. it. Oh, and then we'll get put to the top of Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You'll sell so many candles! It's <laughs> <laughs> really my dream in life. Fuck podcasting. I just want to sell candles. Oh, that's the real That's the real deal. War and Conquest podcast. The smell of dead, burning Turks. <laughs> <laughs> That's another so candle. Appetizing. That's another candle. We sell that during October and November. Um, yeah. It's a buy one, a Halloween get two theme. free. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. We we sell it to Armenians when they remember the Armenian genocide so they can sort of get revenge in their minds. Like, oh, sure, burning Turks. sure, yeah. <laughs> At least our bathroom smells like revenge. I mean, we did lose grandma, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you came, James. <laughs> many, many times. Yep. So. Oh, shit. So, anyway, the Norman clerics are going after. This is like the Patreon wars here. 
Bowman supports the Normans because he is a Norman. And so they eventually sink his credibility so low, he's like, you know what, I'm gonna get the crowd back. I'm gonna perform a trial by fire. Oh god. Which is usually what they would do is they would, um, they'd heat up a piece of iron and put it in your hand. You'd clutch your hand, walk three paces, and then drop it. They'd wrap you up, and if in three days your hand was infected, you were sinful and you were guilty of the crime. And if it hadn't become infected, you were, you were pure. Hashtag I don't know how they came up bag. with this, but yeah. it's slightly a little bit more bizarre than a trial by combat. But at least trial by combat has a little bit more logic behind it. Yeah. So, but Peter's like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to grab a piece of iron. That's too small scale. <laughs> Peter Bartholomew only does large scale. So they build this like big ass pyre of olive branches. It's 13 <laughs> feet long, four feet high, and they light it on fire. And Peter grabs the holy lance and he runs through it. And he comes out fucking burnt on the other side. <laughs> According to some sources, some sources says he was okay, completely okay. His hair wasn't even singed. And then the crowd surrounded him and they crushed him. <laughs> And he died 12... Most sources say he died 12 days later. And Ugh. just during all of this, I would have loved to have been a Turk on the wall. <laughs> like, if yeah, like, you're up there looking looking down at the city, it's like, oh, are they building some new, like, siege machine? Like, no, it's, it's just branches. Oh, they're lighting it up. What the fuck? He just ran through it! What the fuck are they into over there? Dude, white people are weird! <laughs> like that uh, the one meme from the Chappelle show. Where he's got the magazine on the toilet. This is white people on it. Yes, <laughs> that's the cover story for 10.99. We need we need an image of that for people who think white people don't have culture. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we we burn our mouths of God. Okay, that's that's culture. So yeah, according to Peter, he did stumble and he got a little bit burnt when he was in the middle, because God said. This is for banging those prostitutes. Oh, uh, Peter, <laughs> Peter. You're, you're gonna survive, but it's gonna be barely. That Peter, will cost Peter. you one Confederate candle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Peter went up like a Confederate candle. Duh. <laughs> he looked like Michael Jackson after the Pepsi commercial. His hair was all burnt and he was all fucked up. <laughs> so, now we're doing commercial Peter references. And the cult of the Holy Lamps uh, is destroyed. Oh, nice. So he didn't even get to last a year in power. So, and if you want the, the full details on the story, I do a whole episode of my podcast on it. It's called Power to the Crazy People. Mm. It's in, it's in it, I go into like full details about this whole thing, like all the crazy shit coming out of Peter Bartholomew's mouth. It's, and I, I left a lot of shit on the cutting room floor. Like I could probably make like an hour and a half podcast just about the crazy shit Peter Bartholomew said. Mm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so... Jerusalem is attacked. Godfrey of Bouillon has a genius move. He builds a siege tower, and the Turks build up a chunk of the wall to get higher than the tower, and then he just takes it down one night and then moves it mm. into a different area of the wall. <laughs> Surprise, motherfucker! Classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he, they, because there's a curtain wall, which is like a smaller, like, stone wall around the outside wall, and they make a battering ram, and they smash through the curtain wall, and the Turks try to catch it on fire. And then the Crusaders realize they can't get it pulled back out, so they need to just let it keep on. They were putting out the fires. Like, wait a minute, it needs to burn so we can get the tower in here. So they just they start turning the fires on, and the Turks are trying to put it out. So it's a pretty like comical reversal of what's going on. Like the Turks started to try to put it on fire. Like, wait a minute, we need that in the way. Start dumping water on it now. Mm-hmm. And eventually, Godfrey gets into the city, and the massacre begins. 
Anywhere from three to 70,000 people die in the sack of Jerusalem. Numbers Holy are... Hell. Yeah, there's a bit of a discrepancy. The 70,000 comes from Ibn al-Athir, which was basically writing a recruitment manual for jihadi warriors. So, you know, he's got to play up the sure, death in Jerusalem. Sure, a little bit, but... But later Jewish sources, which didn't really have a dog in this fight, say it was only around 3,000 dead. But, I mean, either way, it's still thousands of people dead. Mm. And the first crusade is completed. Nice. After, well... There's a battle with Al-Afdal a month later at Ascalon mm-hmm. where the sheep get involved. It's a pretty funny story. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the, the sheep that the, Al-Afdal wanted to do, like, he put all his herding animals in front of the army to try to get the crusaders to start like herding them around. And then while they're playing cowboys, they come in and kill them. Okay. <laughs> Great plan. <laughs> Let's put all our food out front. <laughs> It's basically like wanting to murder someone, so you invite them over for Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. And you just stab them while they're eating turkey. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't a bad plan, but the Crusaders decide to leave the meat alone. But yet, all the sheep start following the Crusaders. Some people say it's because sheep are fucking retarded. <laughs> and they saw the glinting of the chain mail, and they're like, ooh, shiny. And they just started following the Crusader army. Sure. Or they were Christians. I mean, come on. That yeah, could that's be true. Yeah. Christian yeah. sheep. Uh, that's true. They might be Christian sheep. Wake you up, know. sheeple. <laughs> so, and in the battle, the sheep actually charged with the Crusader army. <laughs> Drop it like that. (laughs) What was the battle cry? We have to think of a battle. (laughs) Are you knocking shit over over there? (laughs) I was trying to use like the moment there to get a drink, and then he started talking about the battle cry, and I fucking sprayed all over the place. I looked like an orca whale. That could be part of the All battle right. cry. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, that was a, it scared the Muslims because they thought with the sheep, sheep following yeah. them, the army looked bigger than it was because they just saw the <laughs> dust column coming. And then Godfrey pulls off a pretty masterful victory and he smashes the army. Hey, do a lot of those Franks look like... No, no, never mind. No, there, there's definitely a lot yeah. of them. They're just wearing wool coats. Yeah, exactly, because it is the desert, but, you know, <laughs> they're all white thirsty. People. They're so, just crawling in their wool coats, you know? It's the desert. Yeah, they're running on all fours. Who doesn't when you charge? So, <laughs> so anyway, we got a sharks with laser beams. We're getting it back in here again. Okay. So, after that, the First Crusade's officially over. Yay! Uh, a lot of the major lords and knights and soldiers go back to... Uh, well, they go back to Jerusalem first, and then they go back to Europe. There's very few people who stay in Outremer, which is the French name for that area of land. Mm-hmm. You have Bowman, he's up in Antioch. You have Baldwin over in Edessa, and Godfrey is crown king, and he rules for a year in Jerusalem. Nice. And then he gets sick and dies, and then Baldwin comes in, and then Baldwin of Borg, that guy that I fucked up earlier, he takes over Edessa. You see, that's why it was in my mind, mm. sort of floating around in there. So, but Bohemond's rule of Antioch would be short, because a year into it, he gets captured by the Danishmans. He's on a patrol, and he hits a much larger force than his, and they capture him. Oh, no. And so his nephew Tancred comes in and takes over Antioch from 1100 to 1104, and he does absolutely nothing to get him ransomed. Nice. He's like, yeah, well, fuck him. He'll just stay in prison because I like ruling Antioch. Mm -hmm. 
And reportedly, Bowman was trying to fuck the guy who captured him's wife or daughter. I mean, daughter. Classic. He was trying not, to seduce her from prison. Okay. From prison. Well, I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, if you hear the whole story, like you can really see Bowman doing that. Well, if you can, you're gonna capture me. I'm gonna fuck your daughter. Oh God. <laughs> okay. Well. Hmm. <laughs> and think <Thinker. I> mean, <laughs> Bowman did have his way with words. I mean, he did get Farouz to want him, and I'm pretty sure Alexius Kamenis wanted to fuck him's brains out to or Anna Kamenis. I'm sorry, Anna Kamenis wanted to fuck his brains out. It's never said she tries to always act like she hates him, but like the vivid physical description oh. is from her. Oh like, yeah, she just, for sure. <laughs> she just like she describes yeah Bowman in perfect. Detail. You read the Alexiad and. Don't tell me you're not turned on. Like that. <laughs> like yeah. he's he's muscular but slender with a beard mm. and piercing eyes mm. and crystal blue. I was like, holy shit. Of course, Anna was a teenager when she saw him, so it was like it was she's probably in her bad boy phase. He's like, oh, oh yeah. I want me some of that giant. <laughs> Nothing's more bad boy than sacking the holy city of Antioch <laughs> and murdering thousands of people. Like, forget the motorcycle stage. I want yeah. blood. <laughs> Bowman shows up with his chainmail and a black leather vest with fingerless gloves, <laughs> yeah. fucking tap out T-shirt on. Yep, he's a bad boy. Yep. So. Bad boy Bohemian. <laughs> yeah. So bad Bowman. <laughs> Bowman's trying to fuck this war this woman, uh. and eventually he gets released. And I, okay. I like I said I believe it was a hundred. Hold on, I got. I'll do the math real quick. So. It was 100,000 dinars. Nine, seven, six, okay. Which divided by four is 25,000 pounds of gold. Time market price, 12,000, or shit. A good, a good deal of money. $30 million. Mm, well, that, that is a good deal of money. Pocket For, change. I, thought it was, I think I might have screwed up the math there. I'm slightly retarded when it comes to numbers. That's why I talk about history. Sure. <laughs> but it's in the millions, and so a hundred thousand dinars is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And eventually, the patriarch and the ruler of Edessa get together, and they free Bohemond. Mm-hmm. And now it's a little bit awkward at the family picnic. Like, hey, Tancred, like I was in prison for four years. Why didn't you try to rescue me? Well, I, I was, I enjoyed ruling Antioch. I tried. And and so Bohemond, he immediately, after being four years in prison, he's pent up. He's ready to go kill some fucking Turks now. He needs to get his revenge. Yeah, sure. And they they agreed to do basically what Hitler and Stalin did in oh. World War Two in Poland. Oh, they're gonna because there's Muslim territory in between Antioch and Odessa, so they're just gonna sort of come together and meet in the middle, and conquer everything in between them. Okay. But at this battle, the battle is known as the Battle of Harem. It was a debacle. The right wing charged too far and got surrounded by Turkish horse archers and cut down. Sure. And Baldwin II gets captured. A few others get captured. Bowman gets away. He learned his lesson from the last time. He didn't want to spend more years in prison. <laughs> but the military power of Antioch is shattered. And Bowman's like, you know what? I fucking had it with this place. And he just up and leaves. Goes to he Kmart. Leaves the, city to, <clears throat> leaves the city to Tancred. And he takes as much money as he can with him. And he just takes off. He's like, I've had enough of the Holy Land. It's been cruel to me. I wanted to be a landowner, but I... He's lost two battles in a row now. He must be pretty salty about that. He's won most of his military encounters yeah. throughout his career. But but in order to get back, he has to go through 
Byzantine territory now, and if you haven't figured oh, out. Oh shit! I mean, they weren't big fans of him before, but he's like, "I'm going to be on my best behavior. I'm going to be your friend." And then he stole one of the most valuable cities on earth from them. So you know, the Byzantines probably wouldn't be too happy to see him. Yeah. So according to Anna Kamena, he smuggles himself back. He he fakes his death basically, mm-hmm. and he punches air holes in his coffin. And in order to sell the ruse, he puts a dead person in there with him. Ah. Because he's like, well, if the coffin, it's before embalming, so after a week or so, this casket has to smell. And so he's just sitting in there in this coffin with a fucking corpse next to him for like a month or however much it takes to sail back to Italy. So many college flashbacks right now. I don't even want to tell you. Yeah, You weren't even in a frat. <laughs> I wasn't even in college. Okay, so. <laughs> so, and it. Anna Kamena actually says how he ever endured such a siege on his nose, I won't know. But he's so hot. Which, yeah, I want he wanted she was thinking about that big six pack of his and his big broad shoulders and his muscular arms covered in Turks <laughs> blood. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> oh my god. So Bowman makes it back home to Italy. He's received with a hero's welcome. He's a successful crusader. I'm having a stroke again. Mm -hmm. He's a successful crusader, and he has a book published talking about how great he is and how everybody wants to be Bohemian. And he actually convinces the Pope to get another crusade going. Mm. Except this crusade isn't directed at the Holy Land. It's directed at the Byzantines. And in his book, he had spent it smearing the Byzantines for being dicks and almost leaving them to die at Antioch. And the Pope's like, yeah, fuck those Eastern Orthodox Christians. We'll we'll go kill them. Yeah. And so in 1108, Bowman crosses the Adriatic and invades and takes Durazzo, or the region around Durazzo, and begins besieging it. And Alexius is like, I've had enough of your shit, Bowman. I'm going to put you down once and for all. And they have a big battle that... Never happens. They don't fight. Oh. oh. Alexius just uses his navy to cut off Bowman's naval support, and then he just waits for him to starve out until he seeks peace. Oh. I guess Bowman's reputation had grown so much that a lot of people didn't want to fight him, and for good reason, because Bowman's scary and sexy. <laughs> sexy Julian. Which is the worst combination. Yep. He's basically Julian from Trailer Park Boys. Yes, bringing yeah. it right back. Yep. Sexy Julian. So, Randy. I know you were watching that before <laughs> this show started. Uh, I feel like I'm on their intelligence level right now. I feel like I've lost a lot of brain cells. It's you been, my headphones it's are been too like tight. three like, hours. Well, and anyone <laughs> yeah. in our presence gets much more stupid of fire. Brought, yeah. it's... brought down to the level. Mm-hmm. So... Bohemond eventually has to sign a humiliating peace agreement that said the emperor rules and Bohemond rules. And he even, he says, go back to Antioch. I'll let you rule Antioch as my subject. You're going to have to give up Cilicia and Latakia, and you're going to be my servant from now on. And Bohemond signs it, but he's like, you know what? There's an interesting legal loophole. If I just never go back to Antioch, you can't enforce this. (laughs) And so he just stays in Italy the rest of his life. The lawyer. He gets married to the daughter of the king of France. Uh, Tancred gets his her bastard sister. I don't know why he was so low on the totem pole, even though he was the prince of Antioch at this point. Well, his but name Bo- alone. Yeah. Well, Tancred was one of the greatest crusader leaders in history. Yeah. Both Baldwin the first and Tancred, they're both like major figures. 
that basically took them from single cities to owning the entire uh, Syrian seaboard in the span of a decade. Yeah, I've heard so, better. You know, they're kind of a big deal. Sure, if you say so, Neil. So, um, <laughs> fuck you. So, <laughs> Is that an offer? What no, the I don't want to... <laughs> I've had half a bottle of Moscato, so... I was going to say, you're starting to sound a little slurry there. <laughs> so, where were we? I was trying to finish the story, but I keep getting interrupted. Mm. Now you're going to have to wait. That's okay, i got to text some people. <laughs> Texting people? Well, too bad. It's time to get back to the story. All right, good. <laughs> Pay the fuck attention. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> if I, all right, I'm fucking with you. I'm back. Uh, <laughs> Thank God, that was really weird. <laughs> what, my laugh or the fact that I was just quiet for ten seconds? Well, neither. Uh, somehow I so, lost my shirt. So, let me... Okay. James, I will drive to... You don't know where, where I am. From. Yeah, I'm in Antioch, Aaron okay? Aaron will text me the details. <laughs> Aaron told me before that he was having more fun with me than you, so apparently I'm the new co I'm the new, <laughs> new uh, co-host. Where are I'm, we? Are we I'm we so hurt right now, you don't even well, know. We're going to call it, the, the new podcast is going to be called We Talk About War and Conquest. <laughs> well, I'm just... And you're just going to be dead people. Oh. Oh, God. <sighs> At last. The tears are coming. The tears are coming. Shit, he's getting wine drunk. I better lay off on him. He's gonna start crying. <laughs> oh god! All right, let's get through this. Let's get through it. All right, finish. So Bowman goes back. He, he fucks his wife. He gets her pregnant. They have a child named Bowman the second. That's how it works. And in March seventh, eleven oh nine, or right, eleven 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 eleven, Bowman dies. Hmm. I don't know how old he is, because I don't feel like doing the math. Game over. <laughs> 23. And his son would go on to take over after Tancred's death in 1114. Hmm. Uh, he definitely wasn't his father's son. Bowman II gets killed like three years into his reign in battle. <laughs> and then Bowman III would also die in battle. So Bowman's just really unlucky, like the future Bowmans. Hmm. And none of them would really have their father's martial skill. Eventually, Antioch would pass out of the Oatville line and... The Salernos would take it over. If you remember Richard of Salerno from the beginning of the show was the one where the priest that was throwing the Rice Krispie treats at the Byzantines. Right. Uh, that was him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. you, you're going to have to go back and listen to the Just show. Just going to nod and agree. <laughs> and thus brings us to the end of Bohemond of Taranto. Wow. Aged years old. He fought. He won, and lost some, and then died. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> He's buried in southern Italy, and you can visit his tomb today. I forget what city it is. I think it's Amalfi, or maybe it's in Taranto. I don't know. One of those southern Italian cities has his body. You can visit his tomb if you ever go for an Italian tour. Hmm. I hate Italy. <laughs> yeah, Italy doesn't really exist for us. I've never been there. <laughs> uh... But if I go, and it'll be the first place I visit. The tomb of Bohemia. Right. Will it? <laughs> save this. Let's save this for off the rails afterwards. I'm going to save this chat. we got to finish out the show strong. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, 
I'm, I'm done my information.